episode 163 Tokyo Drifter from 1966. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two. And this episode's brought to you by ebbsleep.com. Ebb and their cool drift lux help you take back control of your sleep. Decades of clinical research show that specific cool temperatures when applied to the forehead can slow the racing thoughts that often keep us awake. Shout out to Ebb. I'm wondering why, well, shout out to Ebsleep, I'm wondering why they sponsored this episode instead of the Tokyo Drift episode proper, because, you know, there's cars in this movie that we will talk about after the break, but it's not like there's really racing. It's, uh, hey man, they just, they want this slot, they get this slot, that's how it works. Fair enough. Before we get to extracurricular activities, two updates. Number one, after the break, we will be talking about the aforementioned Tokyo Drifter with Garrett Smith at Philadelphia on Twitter. He's been on the show before. Yes. Garrett was on our Hobbs and Shaw Lap 6 episode, I believe. So nice. Eight months ago, maybe? It was. It feels, yeah, forever ago. Feels forever ago, but it really wasn't that long ago, honestly. Boy, oh boy. But yes, he'll be joining us after the break. But the other thing, the important, uh, we dropped our first ever, and this is actually a true surprise, our first bonus Patreon episode. So if you are not a patron oh, yeah, over at TooFast2Forever.com, right. sign up, because we just took the Fast and Furious quiz... I've got some updates. We can talk about that in the mailbag, maybe, because i got the emails coming in. But uh, we took an episode. We took Because I wasn't sure how it was going to be. I think it turned out pretty fun. Um, a lot of people that were talking to us, that I mean, that messaged us, were excited to take the quiz because it was over. And, um, like, the episode, it was fun. We were just taking the quiz. I think that was, like, a nice way to cap that off and, you know, put the doc away and start a new one. <laughs> yes, because this episode, we begin our document about the turbocharged prelude the Too Fast, Too Furious, then in six weeks or whatever, we'll be yeah. talking about Too Fast, Too Furious. But Joe, extracurricular activities, what have you been up to since we last spoke? I have been hanging out, made some pizzas, which were delightful. Um, Rachel and I have been watching season two of the show called Blown Away on Netflix. Glass blowing? Yeah, a glass blowing competition, which because... Um, Whenever we were talking about Forged and Fire, Kara was listening to the episode. She messaged us and said, oh, you watch Knife Show. And I love that so much. We've adopted that for every show that we watch. So this is just Glass Show. And we were watching Glass Show. And it's fun so far. There was a character that really reminded me of Mike Manzi on it. Well, when you say character, you mean like a person because it's a reality show. In that, let me flip that on you, in a reality show, aren't they just characters? Because at this point, everybody kind of knows they're on a reality show. The glass blowers are a little bit better, I think, than most reality show people because they're like, they're not like built for being reality show people. Like they don't like want like a lot of attention. They just want to blow glass. Like the guys that they get are like actually good. It's a different experience. Um. Anyways, it's fun. They make a ton of really dope shit, and it's just fun to watch. Like it's a competition, but like none of them are really that competitive. They just okay. want to make glass, so it kind of feels nice. It's good for your brain. There is apparently a new, the new version of Wipeout or something. I think it's on TBS. is going to be co-hosted by Nicole Byer and John Cena, so it's very appropriate to Ooh. both reality shows and to the Toretto family. Not Toretto household, but the Toretto family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. John Cena now is part of the family. That's right. We don't know. I mean, I guess, so there's the family, <laughs> and then there's the family, right? But he's like a blood relative of the family. Like, he's like, he's, he's. I mean, like, he's as close as you can get, I think. I guess so, yeah. I mean, yeah, he might not be in the family, but he's part of the family. Sure. 
for sure. For sure. Anything else aside from pizza and glass show? Yeah, that's it. I was watching football, like watching the championship games and watching a bunch of hockey because the Penguins are playing again. So that's always fun to watch. And Cool. Yeah, just normal stuff. I'm trying to think. Yeah, watch football. I don't care. Let's go Chiefs because this episode will come out no matter how you listen to it. It will be out before the Super Bowl. So let's go Chiefs. I'm that's with cool. you and I'm riding with you because again, something that I was really excited about at the beginning of this year, a kid that I went to high school with that sat in my chemistry class is on the Chiefs playing for the second year in a row trying to go to the Super Bowl. And the Steelers had picked him up this year and then cut him, and he went back to the Chiefs and is in the Super Bowl again. I think that he's the reason why we, the Steelers didn't go to the Super Bowl. So shout-out Big Stefan Wisniewski, and I want him to get his third Super Bowl ring. He won with the uh, with the Eagles, and hopefully this will be his third. That will be really cool. Wow. Cool. I will say that for our next bonus Patreon episode, which will come out on Super Bowl Sunday, Varsity Blues, there is a actor in that who was signed by the Chiefs. So the Chiefs come up again, but yeah, apparently the actor who played the football player in that movie, I think the running back, was so talented that the Chiefs actually signed him. So like, did no. they use did they use the movie as like his like his combine tapes? I can or did almost they, like... guarantee you no, because the movie like I don't want to spoil that movie but Don't. like it would be hard to have the football make less sense or matter less to the plot than it does in that movie that makes that's that tracks that's like a lot of these football movies like i think like the only one uh, no none of them not really any of them does the football make any part of the movie happen well friday so, night yeah. lights like there are some there's some that actually matter like that gets football right this does not like what doesn't even care it just doesn't care which okay. is fine i mean you know lean into it but like i don't know we'll talk about it with brian Next weekend, I'm excited. I rewatched Parasite. So one, so I I had this grand plan, as you can imagine. You know the way that my my brain makes lists and stuff, and I have a bunch of lists of different movies and things. And like I'm like I'm gonna go through a bunch of these, and not finish these lists because they were very long. And I you know have movies to watch for podcasts and this and that and whatever. But like one list I wanted to tackle was the Letterboxed Top 250. So the movies as of January 1st, I copied and pasted them. Like the movies that are the most the highest rated on Letterboxd. So as we okay. talked about on the show before. Number one, Parasite. As you can see the calendar, we are at the end of the month, and I am watching finally the first movie on this list because this month this month is not shaked out the way that I thought it would be movie wise. But anyway, I watched. I don't know if you know this uh, that this they did this that they happened, but what? Bong Joon Ho, who made that movie, redid it in black and white. Oh, um, so he had a colorist and a cinematographer, and he like the three of them I think sat down, went by shot, went through shot by shot, and made it black and white. And it's, I mean, the movie's still great, but it's still beautiful. Like, it's amazing. He was talking about how there's, like, directors, you know, similar, I guess, maybe in a way to, like, Seijun Suzuki, who, like, who made Tokyo Drifter, like, of that era. But, like, there are certain directors who kind of straddle between the black and white era and the color era. And, like, yeah. that's a little bit here. But, you know, guys like Akira Kurosawa and stuff, where it's just, like, and Hitchcock, like, they could have made movies in color, but sometimes it's in black and white. And so he had that, like urge to do it I guess but he also and this is really funny I think he's like it was selfish because when I see a black and white movie I think it's a classic and so I just wanted to make a classic movie like ah. I, wanted, I wanted a movie that was like you know oh this is a classic look at this black and white or whatever so pretty funny so I rewatched that, that and of course Parasite is great continue to plug away with TV no real updates to report there oh I finished Ted Lasso which is great if you have access to Apple TV Plus, I think I've talked about it on here before. Yeah. Watch Ted Lasso. It is delightful. There was one other thing that I wanted to share. I'm trying to remember what it is now. 
I'll think about it. Maybe when, a, when we do the mailbag, maybe it'll come up. I don't yeah, know, but I, that happens. I, I, I had an idea, and then now I don't have the idea, so... We have a Patreon page in the show, Too Fast, Too Forever.com. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Elliman, Justin Kleinman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Ooh. Slumber Party, Haley Gerbys, Wes Hampton, Christian Larson, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden, Renato DiDonato, and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Thank you all so much for supporting us at the $5 level or above bonus episode on patreon another one coming next weekend super bowl sunday Ooh. i don't know how long i don't know when this I, I don't know the store is on sale right now if people want the store stuff people don't buy stuff it's just there like it doesn't cost us money doesn't really make us money it's on sale right now if you listen to this if you want to buy something now too fast to, to forever.shop exactly do it when it's on sale exactly we have an email address family at cage club that means we got a handful of emails so here let's talk about the the quiz results because i, I i'm not going to spoil what we got because that's, you know, that's a Patreon exclusive, that's exclusive, right? I did memorize the quiz, though, after having, you know, not like trying to, but after doing it and then editing it, I took it again and I got a perfect score. So, like, it is possible to get a perfect score. Yes, whenever we were, um, Rachel took it after we did. I'm sure you got the results from it. And so, yep. like, when Rachel took it after we did, I, when I was, like, reading the answers, it was, like, a day later, and I was like, oh, I know all these answers again, right? Like, Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if I could take it right now, I would probably still get 100, but I don't know. We'll see. But I do want to say that Ben Milliman took it and did not pass your score, but he was very, very, very close. He did better than I did. Nice. He was very close to yours. And then Haley and Rachel took it, and they both did well, but not, you know. It's it's brutally difficult. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. Rachel Rachel had some confidence going in, and I was even beside her, and I would be like, uh, and she was like, okay, and then, like, would change some of the answers. So I think she might have gotten a couple freebies in there, too, to boost that score, so. But the quiz is available. I think we'll probably make that public at some point. That's also available over the Patreon, but if yeah. you're not a patron you want the link, just, you know, ask. Or just pony up a dollar a month. Either way. Yeah. Uh, two emails from Jerry. So this one, so this is this was weird. So I, I posted the bonus, uh, not the bonus episode. I posted last week's episode, the Too Fast episode. And then like within an hour or two <laughs> of that, Jerry had emailed me about that episode. And I was like, oh my God. And so I messaged him and he's like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm at work right now. And I saw a post and so I just started listening. I was like, that's awesome. So here he said, he says, Big Ed 90 Day Fiance. Because remember, we were talking about <laughs> yes. the Philippines, right? Yes, yes, he says, yes. OMG, yes, it was, because I was watching the current season, and then during the commercial, I saw Big Ed, and I have tears in it. So yes, that Aurelio, definitely. Yeah, Big Ed was a great character on 90 Day. You were right. That is such a hyper-specific guess, but, you know, you know, you know the way that 90 Day hits us all, I guess. And yeah. you know Jerry, so there you go. Exactly. He says, by the way, and this is this is for me, by the way, thanks for shouting out one of my favorite Giants players, Rich Aurelia. Well, you're welcome, Joe, giving me shit about that as a clue. I mean, it's a great clue if you know early 2000s baseball, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And he, well, he's a Giants fan, too, so that's, like, even worse, you know hey, what man, I mean? Hey, man, because of the card game MLB Showdown, which was made by Wizards of the Coast, we oh, talked I about this, we talked about, like, NBA and NFL, like, and I because the, of MLB the, Showdown. I love that game, and I love the football one, too. With the swiper? Yeah, but because of MLB Showdown, the 99 season, which is the 2000 cards, like, I know the best players in the league in 1999 based on the cards. Like, I have not yeah. not memorized, because it's not like that, but, like, I spent so much time looking at those and playing with those and, like, drafting them, like, before, like, fantasy drafts were a thing in video games, like, doing it with cards and like I just spent so much time looking at those so like Rich Aurelia I want to say like on base 7 which is not great he's okay but he's got you know 
pretty good speed and pretty good card. So like <laughs> he's there. And, and then Jerry ends with uh, R.I.P. the home run king, Henry Hank. He says Hank Aaron. I just called him Henry Aaron because, you know. There was a funny story. I was watching Pat McAfee the other day. It was he was like talking about when Hank Aaron died. He like did like a memorial for Hank Aaron, right? Like, you know, like was like talking about like the gravity of like a giant sports star, sure. you know, yeah. dying. And he goes, I hope we never have to do this again. The whole like what, rest that of nobody the staff else like, ever dies. You hope that no one else dies ever again. Crazy. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a stance we can get behind on the show. It's just like, we're anti-death. <laughs> just like, just I hope no one dies. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, that was just like the funny, it was reminding me of that whenever he was talking about it. It sounded like something stupid that would come out of here. So that's what it reminded Weird. me of. Weird. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We're, we're anti-death on the show. Cool. Glad <laughs> right? that you yeah, like, that. We hope no one dies again. <laughs> yes. And then Jerry sent another email, blow and go, sort of line. Roman, after the best line ever, ejecto sidoka, says, I'm blow and go, but I'm curious on Brian and Roberto, I presume, don't remember which is which, hearing all that. Yeah, blow and go, like blow out the door and I'm good to go or whatever. So like, I think it's the same thing like when we were talking about, it's like, it's weird enough that if anybody like even remotely gave a shit, they'd be like, wait, what does that mean? And yeah. then like, you'd have to play it off, but like, they just ignore it and move on. He divulges way too much information there. I agree. These guys are not good at things, right? They're not good criminals. They're not good cops. They're not good criminals. They're getting caught. If if they're if you're such a bad criminal that you're getting caught by Brian, who is arguably the shittiest cop ever. Sure. That has to say it, right? Like that says everything. Fonzie and Fabio, whatever you know. He just he literally. I just read the names that Jerry put in there. I don't remember them or any. Yeah. But they're both bad at things. Brian and Roman are not good at things, right? So like. Embarrassing. Clown. Embarrassing. Clowns down the line. We got an email from Jason Dickinson. He says. Hope you guys love my podcast. It's doing good so far. Love you. Stay faster. Stay furious. Ride or die. And then I saw he messaged this in too. Yes. Please give my sister a birthday shout out. Bree. So happy birthday, Bree. Her birthday is February 3rd, right? So that is very soon. When is that? That is next Wednesday. So the day after this episode comes out. Perfect. Bree's birthday. Happy birthday to Jason's sister. And then he's got uh, Sandy. Someone named Sandy a birthday shout out too. So Jason's cool. got a lot of... Uh, it's not Capricorn. Friends. What's the current sign? You, I'm sure you know. Oh, shit. Uh, I, I don't know. It is currently... Nope. That's not helpful at all. Why would you put... Uh, wow. God damn it, Google. Be better. It is currently Aquarius. It is the age... Of Aquarius. Of Aquarius. It is indeed. So happy birthday to those people. I don't know any Aquariuses. My dad's a Pisces, so he's like in a couple weeks. Like, he's after. No, you know a couple. Friend of the show, Melissa Lynham's an Aquarius, and uh, past guest, Island Addington. Oh, nice. Aquarius. They're both on the same birthday, Feb 1, so shout out, to, shout out to both of them. Happy birthday to both of them. I know Melissa listens eventually. Yeah. Island, I can almost guarantee you, does not. Does not. But shout out to both of them. I don't know. Oh, Nico's an Aquarius. Nico's birthday is early Feb. Feb 4. Oh, that works. That makes sense. Yeah. Shout out, Nico. Yeah. Montez and Aquarius, Feb 11. Damn, there's a big circle of them. Cool. Yeah, happy birthday to all of you. And the last email we have from Alex Ellen in subject line, it's not fair. These racists are like 70 and dogs only get to like 15. Okay. New listener Monica talked about car guys and tires. So I came running when I saw the bat signal. Okay. Tell us what you th- what your thoughts are. Mashimoto ZX tires aren't real, likely to avoid any real tire companies from becoming associated and suing for being associated with DVD player jackings. Makes sense. That's cool. The tires on Hector's are real Pirelli's. I think it was Pirelli, but I remember it being real when I heard it. Yeah. I but as someone who spent entirely too much time shopping and researching for tires last year, there are plenty of folks who are brand loyal for almost no reason sometimes. Yep. That's what I was thinking. Yep. There's a few... 
tiers of tires, and at a certain level, it doesn't matter. Also, if no, yeah, like, I don't care. Like, I'm driving a Chevy Cruze. Like, just throw whatever tire on there, right? Like, I don't care, you know. The only time that I think that you should be, like, tire loyal is if you're driving, like, a race car and are sponsored by them or have, like, a very exotic car where, like, it came with these tires. I should probably use those. The engineers meant them to, right? Like, if driving is your thing or if, like, your car is your thing, then, yeah. Otherwise, just get tires. Exactly. When I got new tires for the car, my dad was like, D- "Like, did you get Michelins? And I was like, no, they were like 100 bucks more. And he was like, oh, well, you should have got the Michelins. And I was like, are you going to give me the 100 bucks difference for the Michelins? And he was like, good point. I was like, okay, cool. I want to say it was Larson who told me an adage that he had learned from his mom. And I don't, I don't remember the specific things. But she was like, it's worth paying for the name brand in like three things. It was like toilet paper saran wrap and like something else it's like everything else it just doesn't matter but like there's certain things where like if you buy the cheap shit like you will know like you don't want cheap toilet paper like that's the no, worst that's the worst and like dude. cheap saran wrap or ziploc bags or whatever it was like yeah all that stuff in the kitchen like pay the extra dollar everything else like yeah it's the same right it's all from the same place it's just a different name on it definitely some tires last longer and stuff like that but there's tiers of them right like that's sure. the whole, yeah he says also if note there's a couple brands of tires that are wildly expensive and terrible quality a lot of which are catered toward the big truck community which tend to get weird sizes. Interesting. Also worth mentioning, a lot of people are loyal to a particular brand of oil filter, too. Based on my extensive research, it seems the vocal majority of internet car people will literally hang out on forums and websites dedicated to motor oil (laughs) and its associated products, then buy a filter because it's $2 cheaper than another filter that they just saw was proven significantly superior based on empirical research. (laughs) It created a weird Venn diagram in my head of people who do research on oil filters and people who buy the cheapest on the shelf because my expectation doesn't have those overlap at all. That's that's really incredible. I get whatever one they sell with the oil change kit, like whatever one's on sale. Because like, I don't know, like all these like AutoZone and, and all these places, like they'll always have like, okay, you get like a filter and a, you know, five quarts and it's like 25 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Give me that. And they're like, it comes with this one this month. And I'm like, don't give a fuck. Like, yep. Cool. Works for me. Yep. I'm going to change it. It's good. In other news, last time I talked to you guys was the watch along. I was either dying of COVID or food poisoning. I can confirm it was not COVID, just some bad sheets, it seems. Alex. P.S. Heather just called Paul Walker, quote, cardboard with legs, and now I'm blind with rage. (laughs) I Cardboard with legs is like, I was thinking about it, and when she said it, it reminded me of sexy lamppost. But it's a different thing altogether. It's it's completely different, I know, but it it had the same feel to me, and I was like, oh... We make the argument, and like Heather's not here, that Too Fast is definitely the most mailed in Paul Walker's ever been on one of these movies. Like, there's some times that he doesn't seem like he wants to be there. So, in her defense, maybe this one, yeah, that's what she was seeing this time. Hopefully it gets better. It can't get worse. It can't get worse. It cannot. That's all the email for today. If you want to email family at cageclub.me, we'll read it on the next episode. But Joe, on the streets, news about the Fast and Furious. There's a couple things, but have you seen anything of note recently? I found something today that um, Matt sent us that's adjacent. Chris Bridges, a.k.a. Ludacris, got his car stolen because he left it running while he went to an ATM. I saw you post this and you said, was he taking up money to give to the poor people around, which was is a great, 
A great question. He wasn't. He um, was going to an ATM and somebody in Atlanta stole his car and his iPad and then kept the iPad in the car and he like iPad tracked it to their car because they switched it. And then Mercedes just tracked his car and he got everything back. It was like... The internet knows where you are, so yeah, yeah. They they found everything. They got like his like his duffel bag with like whatever else he had, cell phone, whatever, and they were just like, yeah, it's all here. It is definitely different to be a criminal today than it was forty years ago. Not that I would know, because I am not, and that sounds like a joke, but I'm not. I'm not a guys. I'm not. A, I'm not a criminal. <laughs> not a guys. Cop. I'm not. I'm not a criminal. But yeah, it does seem like like there's a certain thing where it's just like, why would you even bother trying to steal that thing? Like a nice car an iPad with GP like it's just like yeah like you know that stuff I get people, that like people, people are maybe used to not steal right. cell phones man like yeah. imagine stealing a cell phone now you're like okay cool you just go to your computer and you're like fuck that guy and then that's it yeah I I mean I guess it's just a sense of desperation or whatever I don't know who knows but yeah you can't don't use it. steal crime doesn't pay crime does pay stealing what? petty things is not nice my friends had an idea they're like because i was talking about like you know like free time or whatever they're like you should steal something from every house in your block and i was like "Eh." they're like what you should do is you just steal something from every house in your block but then just switch them that's such up my alley that's right up my alley oh my god yes frank why the fuck do you have my garbage can maybe i'm not gonna you just like move like all the the lawn gnomes like in the same order onto like the house right next to it and they're like did they really steal our lawn like we live right next door there was a house this is not the same thing but there was a house when i was looking for to buy a house and i found this house uh there was one that i was looking at and across the street there was one of those like racist lawn jockeys that was still painted black and i was like ooh, Ooh. like like directly across the street i'm like oh i can't i can't own this house like that's i can't Best case scenario, they're like get out people, where they're like outwardly nice and inwardly racist, right? Like, but that's that's best case scenario. Like, they're still bad people. It was like it was like one of those like minstrel things, like this. Is that what you're talking about? Like the holding the the lantern out. Yeah, okay. Creepy. Any other news that you've seen? Because I have a couple things. Well, I have one that I was going to steal from you, but go ahead. So there are rumors, and this is something that Jason has been keeping top on. He's like our our ear to the ground, our man in the streets. He sends us the news when he sees it. Yeah. F9 might be facing another delay. TBD. Biden seems dedicated to getting people vaccinated. So that seems good. For Fast and the Furious. Specifically to go see Fast and the Furious. Yeah, he's like, I need to see F9 (laughs) with my wife and with our two dogs. And In a theater. He's like, I love The Rock. I need to go see this movie in theaters. It needs to come out. I've been waiting a year. Fuck it. Hopefully it doesn't. If it does, like I have officially, you know, we have a, a spreadsheet where I have like the episodes coming up and the guests are on or whatever. And I have, we're at a point right now where I think it's less likely that it'll have happened this lap. So like, again, we did this lap as a buildup to F9. Might not happen. Who knows? But I have two different schedules of like what it's going to be if we have it or don't. So we'll see what happens. But It'll I think like I've officially like the master schedule that we have does not have F9 in it anymore. Like I think that's Ugh. probably more likely to get pushed because like yep. last week, maybe like late last week, which would have been like a week and a half ago as this comes out, there was like a bloodbath and like everything got delayed. Like yeah. Universal didn't do anything, but like Disney and Paramount, like a couple of the studios were just like, man, we're going to move everything back. So if we haven't heard more buzz about it definitely coming out, that's a bad sign. Related, though, this is now the one year anniversary of the trailer. So that's cool. Oh, happy anniversary trailer. AMC and Regal both seem like they're going to survive, which is good. AMC raised like a billion dollars in capital. They're going to make it through the pandemic. Well, did they raise a billion dollars in capital from? No, it was not the Reddit shit. Like, I think I think it might be going up a little bit more because of that. But they raised a billion before. GameStonk or GameStock or whatever people are calling yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When AMC was making these deals with Universal, like, hey, give us two weekends or three weekends or whatever of exclusivity, then you can put it on a VOD. 
Regal at that time was like, these are the wrong deals at the wrong time. You're making bad decisions. This is a bad idea. And then this past week or two, they've been like, uh, so can we have those deals too? So like they came around because like it's just kind of what you have to do. So like it's good for the consumer. Also, the movie theater is going to survive. Like get us movie theaters. Get us vaccinated first. Yep. But get us movies and theaters, right? So Exactly. Funko Pop released pictures of their F9 Funkos. I didn't even know that they made Fast and the Furious ones, but they make something for everyone. They made Fast and the Furious ones, and in on the Funko, they have Jacob, and he's wearing the cross... Crazy. ...of Dom's chain, and we were like, holy shit, this is, like, fucking revolutionary. The necklace, the chain. The necklace, I don't know how he gets chain. it. We were saying that, and then you posted it, and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy, like, this is big news. And then Kevo just comes in, I'm 100% right, and goes, yeah, it's in the trailer. Really? Yeah. And I go back and rewatch the trailer. Kevo's 100% right. Jacob's wearing it in the trailer. Where does it end up? Because, like, he uses it to get back Elena or gets, gets to baby Brian, right? They use that as the tracking device. So, like, I would imagine that the Shaw brothers take it. In the beginning of the trailer, he has it. He gives it to Letty. Letty gives it to Jack. And then Jacob has it. Brian, not Jack. Brian. Brian, sorry, sorry, sorry. I mixed them. Like, Letty's holding it next to, on the bed when, when like, Brian's on the bed, and then this happens. Interesting. That's interesting. But, like, it's weird that he's wearing it, unless that's a real fuck you to Dom. They're in the same room, and he's wearing it. So, like, there, there might be two. We know that Letty bought the necklace for Dom, right? Isn't that part of, isn't that, like, am I making that up? Is that headcanon, or is that real canon? The, he has it in the... F- first movie right yes but isn't there like some there was something somewhere well in, in fast five they're talking like elena's like why is it only like a 15 piece of metal or whatever a 15 dollar piece of metal right like yes i don't know like i know that they have it has meaning but i don't i don't know that we ever know where it came from so maybe dom's dad had two of them and gave them one to eat one to each of them maybe at this part of the movie dom isn't wearing it so i don't know jacob has a chain on at other parts of the movie like other parts of the trailer and then has the cross on it just in one part when, like, he and Dom are, like, standing at the bar or whatever. Or they're, like, at something that looks like a bar. And it's just, like, those two and they, like, turn and are, like, you know, doing the, like, gun facing each other situation in their faces. And he's wearing it and it looks like he just, like, added the the cross to his chain, which is even stranger. It's not, like, Dom's chain because he has a chain on and it's, like, a diamond chain. And then he has the cross on it, so I don't know what's going on. Interesting. And Kevo was like, just nailed, like, he totally saw it, and we didn't, because I, I was like, I don't remember that I saw it, for sure, and now you apparently don't remember either, so I don't think we talked about it. I guess it makes sense that, I mean, Kevo was A, observant, B, Very watched observant. it intently more recently than we did. Like, when we watched it on the tune-up, I was sort of half watching, half listening to their react. You know what I mean? So I wasn't looking for new details, but I guess we might we might have to do it again. Like, I feel like on the if F nine comes out in May, we were going to have whenever it comes out, we'll have the hype episode, the like what we're excited for, what we're worried about, whatever. We can rewatch yeah. trailers and maybe poke through them slowly. But yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. How, but but there's a lot in that trailer, so it it makes sense that we'd miss something like that. It's a very long trailer. Yeah, and it's long. Any other news that you have seen in the last couple of days? No, that's it. Yeah, I think that's all I've got, too. The final thing to do before we take a break and bring in Garrett is the turbocharged minute, the Fast and Furious minute, breaking down the first minute of the turbocharged prelude, a minute I called, oh, shit, it's Brian. I owe you a 10-second car. I owe you a 10-second car.
in this minute, there's a 10-second title card that describes what we're about to watch. <laughs> Brian looks at himself in the mirror and wonders what's become of his life. Police officers get a hand out of his mugshot as Brian packs and hangs up his badge. Police officers swarm his house, but it's too late. He's already gone. Brian drives from Los Angeles and stops somewhere west of Phoenix, ready to race. Yes. So I have a bunch of trivia about the minute itself, or about the term, the video itself, that I will share for now. We have, of course, like, it was cool to have, like, actual new clothing. You have the cars, which we could talk about. I want to talk about, I want to talk about the signs and products things. The one thing I want to point out before we start is the music. I don't know what this song is. And I felt a little bit like you, like, I fell down a rabbit hole of, like, some internet forum that was not about these movies maybe it was some kind of car forum they're like what's the what's the song in this movie or in this in this video and there's a there's an instrumental Busta Rhymes that we are not to yet but there's no soundtrack listing on IMDb and none of these internet sleuths could figure out what this was did you and Shazam, Siri Shazam didn't yeah, it didn't work okay damn but before I talk about what this the video like the, the short film is all about uh what did you notice what of note that sticks out to you let's talk about the cars first brian's car is a 91 dodge stealth that was modified to look like a 3000 gt which is funny because they are actually the same car what does that mean one manufacturer made it and they put a different badge on it and sold it as a different car but it's this exact same chassis engine everything this happens a lot do you ever know this I think we've talked about this in the Dude, What's My Car game, where we've talked about, like, it's a different engine or different body or whatever, but, like, it's the same otherwise, right? These were, like, identical cars, just one said Dodge, one said Mitsubishi. Oh. Mitsubishi was making them, selling them to Dodge, Dodge is putting Dodge emblems on them, and then selling them here. It's weird. It's some. I don't know how this works. I, like, I really don't know the background behind it. But like, it's happened many times before that like car companies that aren't related. Like, it's not like you know, um, two car companies that are under the same umbrella are doing this. Because like, you know, you have things like um, the Volkswagen, like the Touareg and the Porsche Cayenne were like the same SUV, right? It, because like Volkswagen owns both, so it makes sense that like they were using the same chassis, but like the engines were maybe a little bit different. This is like no Mitsubishi was making this car. Anyways, they had this whole thing that they wanted Brian to have a 3000 GT, but they used the Dodge Stealth and made it look like a 3000 GT, which is the same car. Anyways, they just took the Dodge logo off the front of it. Craig Lieberman had like a bunch of specs of the car on his Instagram. Cool. But if you click that, there's actually pictures, like, of them shooting it, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's cool to check out. So it's, like, a little behind-the-scenes thing. I thought that was interesting. All the regular... All the other cars are linked, but they're, like, pretty normal. All, uh... Okay, can I talk about the house a little bit? Yeah. So here... My my first question for you is, you have the number is 335, but, like, it looks like it's on the door next to it. Like, is it a duplex? Is his number? Because I wasn't sure if his number is 335. No, 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 because the door's open. You wouldn't see the... If they were, like, next to each other... Then that door, what you wouldn't see three thirty five, right? I was just thinking, like if it's like a if it's an L shape and there's the two doors and they go each way. Oh, no. I think I think I'm guessing. We don't know, but like three thirty five is either his house or his like it's in the same building. It's definitely a duplex. There's two mailboxes. I saw that. He's quite possibly three thirty five, but we see three thirty five for sure. One of the wackiest things, though, is in his bathroom, he has, like, these watercolor-style car pictures, which is cool because, you know, we have Dom's horse picture in his house, right? Which is a, yeah, adorable. Adorable. He has car pictures in his bathroom. Okay, not that weird, but one of them's a station wagon, and I was like, that's very weird. Well, so do we think, and I think we've talked about this before, do we think that this is a house that he was, that he owned, or that he was renting, or that he was, like, living in that was, like, an LAPD 
kind of house. You know what I mean? Because like, no, we talked about this, and, and my theory and what I what I stand by is always that this is Brian's actual apartment. Okay. And like he's decorated this himself. This is like where he would go home to, but because he's undercover, he stays at Harry's. Because that fits the story better. Like, you know, some of these guys that are undercover have, like, a fake apartment, but, like, right. their wife and kids still live in, like, a house that's their house. So I think that that's this. Okay. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Oh, and he has a bunch of, like, trophies around his house, too. Is kind of strange. One of them looks kind of old and has, like, a car on it. I have no proof of this, and I just want to pitch this idea out there. Do you think maybe Mia, from the deleted scene gave him one of Dom's dad's trophies as a memory of both of them, and he had it. That would be weird, and that also means that, like, that's, I don't know, like, we could, it's a, it's a real deep rabbit hole of, like, what ending is canon, like, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't agree. know, like, yeah, maybe. It, it really looked like a trophy that you would have found in Dom's garage, and Brian doesn't have, like, this dad trophy backstory, so where would he have got this, like, 80s car racing trophy from? I don't know. Yeah. This is a, essentially, like, a six-minute montage, like, there's a lot going on, like, I was expecting not a ton, but, like, there's in the lot. first minute, including the 10 seconds of, like, you know, lead-up, like, he gets from his bathroom to the the police, then show up, and he's in Arizona. Like, you know, it's... Like, there's a lot that happens in these, like, 50 seconds. I, th- I think I picked out, like, the highlights. That was, those are my favorite things. There's obviously a ton more in the document. So there is one thing I will make note of that you have at the police station, because there are a bunch of uh, police officers that I have in the clothing section, because there's Brian's clothing both yeah. at home and then in the car and whatever. You mentioned a pink box of donuts, you think. There's actually... So this is not about the minute itself, but I... I watched a documentary in December called The Donut King, which is about this, like, there's a Cambodian... Did we talk about this? You uh, you might have. Okay, go ahead. Continue, though. I don't know that I... Uh, it sounds I, I familiar. So there's a lot of... There's apparently, like, a ton of Cambodian-owned donut shops in and around Los Angeles, because this one guy, or there were at one point at least, because this guy came over and kind of, like, started this empire, but then, like, would help other Cambodian families who, like, came to America open up their own donut shop. Like, kind of like franchising so, them? No, no, not even really. Like, I, I, I think he just kind of helped them get started. And like, he's just like, this is like how you do this thing or whatever. That's cool. The reason I bring this up now is because the pink box, for whatever printing reason, like the boxes that other donut shops were, use, were using came as pink, but they would like print white on it or whatever. And so this guy, this Cambodian guy, the Donut King himself, the titular Donut King, was like, oh, if, it, if it's cheaper, if we use a pink box, we'll use a pink box, we'll just save money. But then like, uh... because he saved the money because his donuts became like this big thing, like the pink box of donuts is now like Iconic. the... Yeah, so, but he he literally did it to save money, like to save like a couple pennies per box or whatever. But like, you know, adds up, right? Yeah. So. And he's smart. Crazy. That's fucking genius. And and once you have the the branding down, that's yep. yours, right? Like, yep. yeah. yeah, fucking a. Okay, cool. That's a, so it is a pink box of donuts. I'm guessing. And now Probably. you told the backstory of it. That's yeah. really awesome. You reminded me. We watch a lot of SVU. They always are drinking coffee, and they have these like cups that look like they're like blue and white and very Greek inspired, right? Like yep. Greek mm-hmm. inspired. Yep. I would watch SVU all the time, but. I had never noticed, I never knew that they were real until I moved to New Haven, and there was, like, some place that was, like, selling these using the same cups, because we're not far. I saw one on the street in front of my house, and I was like, holy fuck, it's the cup from SVU. And then, like, I realized, like, no, you can actually get that coffee cup everywhere in New York, so it makes sense. So here are some background information about the short film, because I was like, I don't I, I don't really know, because we are sort of talking with Heather in the last episode, we're like, I don't 
like we did a little bit of research when we talked about this. We did like a bonus episode, lap two or lap three or something. And yeah. I don't remember how deep I went to this. So we knew it was included on the tricked out edition of the first DVD. Yes. It came out three days before Too Fast. It included like a free ticket, whatever. And then I think eventually it would be packaged with Too Fast the DVD on like those DVDs. But like originally it was on the first one, like a special edition, whatever. Here's a short film. Here's where Brian is now. Right. Yeah. My, one of my favorite things is that, so on the, I read the IMDb trivia. I read the, or not that like, there's not a lot on the IMDb. I'll go into that. Read the wiki, read a bunch of different stuff in the little box on the right of the wiki where it's just like the date, the year, whatever it has language. and It just says silent, which is not true. No. Also, it's not, a, that's not a language. No, there's English in here. Yeah. I mean, it's a flashback, Yeah. but I just like language silent. Like that's a goofy thing. There's also on the Fast and Furious wiki about this, there's a note that the character Slapjack and Orange Julius don't make it a physical appearance in the film, which is like, yeah, neither does like a bunch of people, right? Like, it's just like, you don't have to say who's not here. Like, a bunch of people aren't here, right? <laughs> That's a great, see, this is that uh, classic IMDb trivia that Wes can't get into, the, the yeah. hallowed grounds of, of great trivia about movies. So as I think we've talked about before, there are five actors listed. There's only one in the credits. That's Paul Walker as Brian O'Connor. Uh, Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto, archive footage uncredited. Yeah. Not in this minute, Minka Kelly as girl, the how you can forget that the career turning girl uncredited and then there's these two dudes and i don't know where this came from but everywhere on the internet these two dudes are mentioned they're like rodney neal and peter aylward are also like it's just like but like on the imdb they're listed they don't have pictures on the wiki like the wikipedia one on the fast and furious wiki like these guys did a thing i guess and like got their name attached to this thing but there's like nine or ten or eleven at least officers in this minute alone plus all the people at the race that are just not involved. And so, like, I don't know if they didn't care. I don't know if they, like, I don't know what happened, but there is, like, zero information about who actually is in this other than Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, Minka Kelly, and these two random-ass dudes. Follow me on this. I got an idea. We retroactively go back and, like, pretend like we were in the turbocharged prelude because who's going to actually check if we were cops in the turbocharged prelude we make like an imdb account with no picture just say that we were in it and then we get our name attached to it so that people think that we might have been cops okay yeah i mean i think it would be the ultimate testament that we get added to the imdb for this and wes can't submit his actual valid trivia i bet that we would get added to being actors on it before Wes's trivia got Well, we know his trivia is never going to get added. So, like, if it ha- if it happens at all, like, yeah, it's before because Wes ain't going to do anything, right? So <laughs> Yeah. It's, and he's tried 50 times. Yeah. So, there's, like, likelihood that we could just, like, email him and be like, hey, I was in that movie. We'd send them one of Craig Lieberman's, like, shots of him, like, being on the set and be like, yeah, this is a picture I took. And then they'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely them. Cool. Um, so this was directed by a guy, Philip G. Atwell, who is mostly known, and this actually ties right into what Heather was offering up last time mostly music video guy yeah he's done like dozens of videos a lot of eminem he did guilty conscious the real slim shady Stan, oh. lose yourself he then switched over to 50 and did like into club and a bunch of other stuff yeah he directed two episodes of the shield the last thing he directed was a film in 2007 called war which is notable to us because it stars jet lee and jason statham very cool 25 music videos then this, then like eight music videos, then like two episodes of The Shield, and then War, and then he's done. So I don't know what happened, but just weird. 
Yeah. Uh, he also, and this is of note to me and to our network, served as second unit director, which is just like action scenes generally, or like stuff that like doesn't have necessarily the main actors there, on National Treasure, both of them, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So like he's only worked on three movies as a second unit director, and all three are Nicolas Cage movies, and I don't know what, ha- I don't I know like why. I feel like we talked about that. I feel like we talked about that last time we were t- when we were talking about it. We definitely mentioned that. Very possible. Written by guy Keith Dinelli, who basically has done nothing. He wrote a movie that has no ratings on IMDb. Not Ooh. a single person has rated this. Letterboxd 2? I didn't look at Letterboxd, but I can't imagine, like, there's... I'll look right now. Hold on. Yeah, I'm just curious if no one has seen this. Like, there's even a poster on IMDb, so, like, I don't know, man. It's it's weird. He also wrote an eight-minute horror short that came out after this that has, like, eight ratings, but the changeover... It might not even be listed on Letterboxd, to be honest. I don't see it. Wow. That's crazy, dude. Okay. But he's mostly known for being a producer, and he's produced 94 episodes of The Voice. So this guy who wrote this, who has no ties otherwise to Fast and Furious, is now like a multi-multi-millionaire for like basically, you know, helping make The Voice, right? Because it's the most successful, probably one of the most successful shows on TV. So like, the guy who wrote this is now like running The Voice. Like, he's not an EP, but he's like a consulting producer. Weird career. Insane. Yeah, very weird. There are only like three or four other credits at all on IMDb. One is produced by Neil Moritz, who we know from being a producer on most of these movies, as well as Ferrari Driver in the first one, and Swerving Cop in Too Fast. Also produced by Chris Palladino, who produced many of Phil G. Abel, the director of this, his music videos, but he also did a ludicrous vi- the video for Stand Up, which, the, you know, oh, nice. if you move, I move, yeah. like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Phil G. Atwell, like, had never worked with Luda, but this guy went on to work with Luda. So, like, I don't know if, like, they hit it off on the set of... T- I don't, like, he's not involved with Too Fast. No. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. Maybe not. I don't know. I think probably not. I think that we're making a connection. Probably. Because it's like music videos and shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's more like yep. that than it is this. The stunt driver is credited. This guy, Horace Knight, who has like 100 stunt credits, but nothing else in any Fast and Furious movie ever again. Very strange. The weirdest credit is that there's an additional editor, Scott Meyer, who's like edited like 25 different things, but there's no actual editor listed. It's just like additional editor. So like, there's like, hey, there's other kind of, it's some editing, but like, nobody's credited to do like the main... Editing. I don't know. It's it, it's a it's a weird ass thing. It's very strange. So like, I was just like, I want to know what this is, and spoiler, I still don't know. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever get an answer to it. Maybe Other we can like be a cash the, grab. I don't. I, that's why. Okay, I wouldn't want to take somebody else's job, like take credit for editing it. But it's say that you're like a cop in the movie. You're not a cop in the movie, but I'm not like taking somebody else's cop credit. Like right? there are dozens of people in this that have not claimed that they worked on this. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. We could also just say like additional whatever and just. Claim that, I don't know. Like, there's there's opportunity here. There is opportunity. We could be canonically in the Fast and Furious retroactively, <laughs> but actually not canon because like we're not actually in no. It, but... no 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 yeah not yet not yet. So we're not going to do a trivia question. You and I talked about that before we did the episode. We are going to do the trivia questions again, starting with Too Fast, but these next six episodes, no trivia questions, just because none of you have seen this. None of you really care about this. Uh, just this is the completionist in us. And like, there's actually kind of more here than I was thinking there was going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot because it's super fast. Like, that's like you were talking about. Like, it's cut like a music video. So it's like it's all montages and shit. Yep. So. so next week we will see what Mr. Arizona does in that Arizona car race but for now let us take a break and let us bring in garrett smith and we'll talk about tokyo drifter
is episode number 163, Tokyo Drifter. This episode is brought to you by Ebb Sleep. The Cool Drift Lux is a drug-free with no side effects and uses a circulating fluid that flows from the bedside controller through the headband to maintain continuous cooling. Shout out to ebbsleep.com. Well, shout out to Ebb Sleep and welcome back to Too Fast You Forever. With us now, as we teased before the break, we have from I Like to Movie Movie and Movie John, this John, that John, learned that movie from Creed, or learned that word from Creed. Boy, off to a bad start. We have with <laughs> us, back from Hobbs and Shaw a couple laps ago, Garrett Smith. Hello, Garrett. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to be here. And yeah, apparently the whole world learned about John through Creed. But like you, as a Philadelphia person, knew about it before. Oh yeah, for sure. I definitely, as a, uh, a white male, if that wasn't entirely clear from the way I sound, I sound like I'm hosting a game show whenever <laughs> I talk. I, I did not know what that word meant for a long time, but I was hearing it all the time, only to find out, you know, shortly before Creed came out, uh, that, uh, yeah, it just, it means whatever you're talking about. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean anything, because it means everything. It's just like, this is John, that is John. Yeah, that's whatever you're John, talking about. That's a John, you're, right, so. And, uh, you know, once we establish what we're talking about, why not? Well, welcome to our John. That's this right. is a weird, like, we, you know, I, I like having, you know, we love having you on the show. I like having repeat guests. We don't have, like, a ton of, like, generally before, like, recently, we didn't have guests on our pit stops. But it was, like, this weird thing where Joe and I were doing the Letterbox game, which we'll play for this at the end of the episode. Mm. And we're like, Cinema 76? This guy writes, like, I'm like, why do I know that? I'm like, oh, I think that's Garrett's thing. So, like, I, I dig a little deeper and I'm like, yeah, so, like, this account that we randomly came across for maybe Paris, Texas, I think? Like, maybe, yeah. It's a guy that, like, a past, like, not that we've had it many guests on the show, we probably have, like, 40 different people or whatever, like, somebody, like, a colleague of yours, we just <laughs> randomly found. So, like, oh, let's, let me, let me just see what Garrett's up to. And I'm like, he loves Tokyo Drifter. Let's yeah. get him on Tokyo Drifter. So, it's, like, fortuitous that whoever your colleague was, whatever the movie was, that John and that John... <laughs> You know, you're here, so welcome back. We're, we're happy to have you back. Thank you. I believe that was my buddy, uh, Andy, uh, who, yeah, also writes for Movie John these days. I don't remember what movie it was, though, but this was very fortuitous. I'm, like, very excited to be here to talk about Tokyo Drifter, because this is actually a pretty new movie to me. I just watched it this year for the first time, along with, like, a bunch of other movies by this director. So I'm, oh, I'm nice. actually, like, you got me at the right time, where I'm, like, I'm very, this movie's very fresh to me. I'm, like... I'm like newly in love with this movie. I have all this context for like what else this guy was doing and why this movie is so fucking strange and what it is, you know? So I'm weird. very excited. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. So this is directed by a guy named Seijun Suzuki, who I don't know a lot of, I've only seen this of what he's done, but he also made, I think his other big movie that I've been meaning to see is a movie called Branded to Kill, yeah. which came out the year after this. So like, from what I understand about this, and Garrett, I love more context, because like, I don't know what, like, so, okay, before we go there, so this yeah. movie is about, there's like two rival Yakuza gangs, I think, yes. I need I need you guys to confirm every step of the way, because I'm not 100% sure, but like, there's two rival Yakuza gangs, and one guy retires, right, like the leader of one is like, I'm done, I'm hanging it up, is that right so far? Yeah, yeah, it, so, I mean, if I can help <laughs> you a little bit, I've seen a bunch of Yakuza movies in the past like year or two. Okay. And like none of them really make sense. Okay. They are they are very much in the tradition of like film noir. The actual mechanics of the plot often don't make sense and maybe aren't even supposed to. Mm. All, all you really need to gather from it is that like gang warfare like this is like really messy. And it's all about loyalties and stuff. So it's like, you may not understand what's happening, but that's kind of because it doesn't even make sense even if you did understand it. It's like a lot of just like messy 
what would you say, what's the word for that? Like betrayals, right? There's right. there's just like constant betrayals. And Joe, like you said, there's like these fracturings yeah. that are constantly happening. Often you enter these stories and what you find out later is that like, oh, they all used to be a part of the same gang. They sort of like, you know, eventually you had two leaders that couldn't both fill the same leader role. So they split off and became their own gangs. And then they each had their own leaders that eventually split off. And by the time you enter the story, you're in like this third iteration. And there's like six of them <laughs> all circling around each other for the same territory. And it's very confusing. What made it harder for me, and I'm sure for Joe too, and I would imagine for you when the first time you watch it, like, I don't know any of these actors. Yep. Yep. True. All of their names, like they're they're one unique letter. enough, but then one there's also like apart. there's a Tetsu and a Tatsu. Yes, and, like, <laughs> one letter. I literally want. This is not a this is not a joke or exaggeration. I watched the first half hour last night, and like I don't know what the fuck I just watched. <laughs> and I rewound it at the beginning, and I watched the first. I watched it entirely back. So like this is an eighty minute movie that I turned into a two hour movie because I was like I don't know what I'm watching. And yeah. like by the time I got to that thirty minute mark again, I was like. Okay, so, like, the guy who retired has a building. Yeah. And the building is worth, like, $200 million. Yeah. But, like, he yen, owes a yen, guy... Yen. Yen. 200 million yen. <laughs> whatever. He owes a guy 8 or eight million yen mm-hmm. that he's going to pay off. But then this other guy comes in and is like, I'm assuming the debt, and now he's going to... With force. Arm. With force. He assumes yeah. the debt with force. He comes in and he's like, no, it's my debt now. And the dude's like, no, dude, we're cool. He said he was going to pay me. It's all good. And he's like, nope, it's my debt now. And then, like, beats up this dude. And so then he strong arms his way into, like, oh, no, no, I, I own the building now. Right. Because, like, I know you can't pay the $8 million and, like, you owe me $8 million, so, like, give me the deed. And, like, it's like, wait, okay. Eventually, this guy Tetsu, who is our main character here, essentially becomes a ronin of sorts, right? Because he, like, leaves, he is no longer under this guy's tutelage or his work or whatever, and he goes out on his own, and he, he becomes the Tokyo Drifter. And then there's a part of this movie where, like, it has nothing to do with the building, and he's just going around, like, from small town to small town, just, like, fucking up people who need to get fucked up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. And then it all kind of comes back together at the end, where, like, he thinks he's getting betrayed, and I'm just like, I don't know, it all looks cool. Yeah, it looks I just beautiful. Too. don't yeah. know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. So this is, in my opinion, like one of the most beautiful movies that I've ever seen, visually speaking. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's got all of these like, I don't know if it's specifically actually Technicolor, but this very like vibrant Technicolor look. There's lots of neon throughout. There's, you know, a lot of, um, I I would say like impressionistic use of color uh, throughout the movie, especially as you get into the finale where you're in that club that the woman sings in. Yep. And it's just, it's very beautiful and it's very impressionistic. I'm saying this to say, like, this is why I love this movie, and I do think this movie is kind of best appreciated as a style exercise. And by the way, I'm not even always a fan of the thing that I'm saying right now. I often am frustrated by movies that are uh, style over substance, but I think that this movie really works literally as, like, style as plot. Right. Like I I do not understand. I've seen it twice now in the last like six months and I couldn't explain to you in any meaningful way exactly what's happening in this movie. But I understand this movie in some like uh, elemental way. The character of the Tokyo Drifter like makes sense to me just at like face value. He's like this kind of young man that is very talented, but has killing. Yes, yes, right. I'm actually, I'm leaving out some of those details because I think, again, it's almost like best understood the more distant you are from it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, okay, So, like, even if you pull out from, like, the thing that he's good at is murder, which is very much what he's good at. It's this very talented young man who's never been on his own. He's never been out from under the thumb of this, like, whatever, Tokyo Godfather, like, whatever you want to call him, right? 
almost being like forced out onto his own. You know, like it's almost not even his choice to leave. It's like because of all of this other kind of like background shit that's happening that he really isn't even involved in and doesn't have a lot of control over. He's kind of like forced to leave and go out on his own. And there's literally a line in this movie. It's like as cheesy as a soap opera could be where he says like, wherever I go, trouble finds me. You know, like <laughs> he strip says that out loud in this movie as he whistles his own theme song to himself. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like, Amazing. It's so good. But it's like, I do think the movie is working at that level where it's like, I understand it in that very elemental way where it's just about like a talented young man who's trying to set out on his own for the first time, but like can't really like get out from under himself and like his own whatever anxieties, traumas past. Like he's just kind of always forced back into this like life and world that he's like kind of trying to walk away from or even forced out of. I don't even know if what I'm saying makes sense. No, it does. What I think is cool is that from what I understand about the actual production of this, like it kind of in a way mirrors the making of this movie because there's a studio Nakatsu yes. still around they're still making movies like Tokyo Tribe like I think Joe I told you to watch Tokyo did you ever watch Tokyo Tribe the Yakuza hip hop musical like gang warfare musical I have not and I've been meaning to because I it is remember when that came out and I great. would love to see it yeah yeah they made that Joe I think if, I don't know if you've seen that Joe but no, I, you've I, been I mentioning you, it to me though whenever we watched like the Apple I think you pitched this one to me Tokyo Tribe is great he, they also made like Yakuza Apocalypse like they made yep. these like, Yaku- like there's not a ton of yak movies anymore but like they're all like when they make them they show up at a fantastic fest so i saw both of those there yeah, right yeah. nakatsu had been telling this guy suzuki who made this movie like for years apparently to like make his movies less weird yes and he wouldn't listen yeah and he's just like i'm gonna do what i want to do and then they're like okay cool like here we're gonna slash your budget and so he's like okay i gotta figure out a way to tell my story with less money and so like that's why there's literally sets where it's like colored backgrounds like just lights yeah and then like a column in the middle of an empty room yep and it's like that's that because like it's they just didn't have the money it looks like a play it's yep. like yeah. it's like if you were watching this like at a theater that's what it looks like and i was like the aesthetic of that is actually fucking dope like n- not knowing that he didn't have the money to make it i was like this is a really cool choice anyways like yeah. it looks great i can give you a little more like nikatsu background and this is all like weird stuff that i just happen to know about because of the writing i've been doing over the years Five years ago, Arrow released a box set of these movies uh, that they called Nakatsu Diamond Guys. And so Nakatsu in like, I want to say from like the 50s through the 70s, they just made Yakuza movie after Yakuza movie after Yakuza movie. And they made them for like $10 and they just pumped them out. And this is like their system is like the way uh, uh, Hollywood's old studio system was. They employ a bunch of actors by contract and a bunch of directors by contract. And it's like, you don't have a whole lot of choice in the matter. You work for Nakatsu, and this year, if you want to make your $40,000 or whatever, you are going to direct these three movies that they give you, and you're going to act in these five movies in these five roles that they've determined for you, because you're, like, under contract with them. Okay. And and that's how a lot of these old, uh, like, Toho was that way as well. That's how a lot of these old Japanese studios were. All these Nakatsu movies are these Yakuza movies that, frankly, are dumb. They're so (laughs) dumb. They're all really cheap. They're all really stupid. Uh, One of the ones I watched, I I think it's literally called like Murder Party or something like that. It's got like a great fun (laughs) title. 
It's about like 12 different hitmen, and they each have like their own like really distinctive, highly stylized costume. And like one of them murders you by throwing cards at you from his deck of cards. And one of them just carries like a hammer. And like, you know, they each have like their own signature thing, but it's like, it's played like a like slapstick 40s comedy. It's like, it's so strange. And that's like what ostensibly Suzuki is doing. He's like fulfilling this contract to make these Yakuza movies for the studio that like, frankly, doesn't care that much about the actual like quality of the movie that's being made. They're just trying to make money off of these things. It's like grindhouse stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can imagine them being like furious. Like, what are you doing? It's like, well, if you're going to like cut my budget, like I'm going to make weird stuff. Like yeah. the saloon brawl, is just, <laughs> yes. like a parody of like old Westerns. He's just like, I'm going to make, I'm oh, going to do yeah. weird shit. They didn't like, the, I, mean, I think this became some kind of a hit, but like, they're like, okay, we're going to slash the budgets even more for the next two. Yep. So like you have to shoot in black and white. And so like, he just made even weirder shit, like which in Includes Branded to Kill, which I, this movie is more popular on Letterboxd, yeah. but I think Branded to Kill is kind of like, is that, is that his big movie or is this his big movie? I mean, I think this is his big movie. This is the one that has like a Criterion release. And so I right, think yeah. it's just like widely sort of known and recognized. I think you can see a lot of like influence on Tarantino in this movie. Like I think yes. that's oh, for sure. so much. Yeah, yeah. I think that this movie is kind of like a hallmark for a, a lot of like current American cinema. Uh, and so like, I think it kind of has a little more recognition but branded to kill i've also seen that it's a really good movie and it is like slightly more grounded and so i think is like I don't know, depending on how you feel about this, a quote-unquote, like, better movie. Um, and so I think is probably, maybe not more well-recognized, but probably as popular in as much as, like, it, it's a more, like, uh, just, like, moment-to-moment understandable movie. It's more digestible, I guess, is a way to say it. Yeah, because, yeah, like, I don't know a ton about, like, I don't want to call this, like, obscure agents. Like, I, I, I know some agents, and, like, I know some curse. Like, I don't know a ton, yeah. but, like, I have never heard of a single other movie this guy has made ex- other than these two. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think I only knew this one because of the podcast, right? Like, yeah. I knew Brandon to kill from whatever, but like Tokyo Drift, I was like, oh, that feels like Tokyo Drift. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's no correlation as far as I can tell from like this to Fast and Furious, but like, it just feels like this guy who made like 50 movies and this is much closer to the end of his career yes. than the beginning. He's just doing a lot of stuff and like, I just don't know any of it. So I'm <laughs> glad that you're able to provide like, not the limited context, but like, you, you don't even understand like what's going on sometimes like it just what a what a time to be alive <laughs> well i think what is interesting about the kind of history of that studio and then trying to relate it to like his career and stuff is that like you're right this comes at like the end of his career and this movie is kind of i mean he makes like one or two more movies for them and they fired him like he he never finished his contract he was like fired by this company this movie is kind of the movie that gets him fired like he makes one or two after this but it's like this is as you said this is them being like dude you have to like fucking rein it in like you're not <laughs> Not giving yeah. us what we want so we're gonna limit your budget to make you rein it in and he just gets like even fucking weirder and they're like all right then like you're done you know he wanted to make art but he was under yeah. contract for a company that wasn't doing that you know they're the marvel studios of their time they're they're churning out a product you know it's like they're, yeah. they, they've got release dates to meet they've got a they're, they're trying to make money off of this product they're making and he just wasn't interested in that he made this great movie that i like highly recommend called gate of flesh which is a fucking great title, but it, it but is. it is literally about a, I mean, for lack of a better term, and I wish I was using a better one, but like a whorehouse that is at the American gate to, like, I think Tokyo, following uh, World War II. They literally live in, like, a 
the remnants of a building that was that was like the uh, you know suffered a nuclear attack. So it's like oh. this whorehouse that is a f- <laughs> a formerly nuked building. Uh, it, it's fucking awesome, and that also stars Joe Shishido. Joe Shishido is who stars in the other one, Branded to Kill, and and is like a pretty like today like well recognized and famous like Japanese actor of his time. Um, he's in a ton of stuff. He was in a lot of the Nakatsu stuff. I think he's even in some Toho stuff, and, and is a really fun actor. Like he's a good genre actor in these. I think the star of this movie though is like an actual pop star that they cast in this movie. Oh. I believe if you look in the credits, he's credited as the the guy who sings the song. He does sing the song, and he's you know like you said, he's whistling the song. Like it's this weird kind of surreal where he like like not that he knows he's in a movie, but like he takes the thing that's made for the movie. He's like I'm just gonna like that's my theme song. Like that's yeah. that's not the movie's theme song. It's my theme song. So <laughs> I really like his performance in this movie because it does really feel like I'm watching a pop star perform in a movie. He's doing this thing where he like, I don't know, he's like cool because he doesn't totally seem to belong. Like he, it doesn't seem like he actually kind of belongs in this world. You know, like he yeah. feels like he's from a different medium uh, in a way that I think like is kind of effectual for the movie. What I love about the whole like history, I guess, of Seijun Suzuki is that like there are seven of his movies available to stream on the Criterion channel, mm-hmm. including this one, which is where I watch this, but also Branded to Kill and also Gate of Flesh. Yeah. Like I'm going to just keep going because like, and even better, they're all 79 to yes. 90 minutes. Yes. Like, they're all I short. know. We talk about that a lot. Like, Less. you know, because we're coming from Fast and the Furious movies that have pushed in like two and a half hours Oh my hours God, now. yeah. You watch a movie that's an hour and 20 minutes, you're like, whoa. I, I love when a movie can pack its story. Like, honestly, I'm always saying like 88 minutes is the prime perfect runtime. 88 minutes yeah. is exactly the length the movie should be. That's like, it feels fast, efficient, but also like meaty enough that it's like a full meal you know uh, yeah yeah love love a good tight runtime so joe what did you think of this i know that garrett loves this movie and i really like it but i don't understand it but what did you think of tokyo drifter i fucking love this movie i like i when i watched when i watched through the first the first sequence the black and white sequence where he sees like the orange toy gun on the ground mm-hmm. like once he did that i was sold i looked at rachel i was like this is a movie i feel like i have like really good vibes about already i really enjoyed it it was wacky and weird and like yeah part of the story like didn't make sense but i had followed the story pretty well like i wasn't like super confused on the story the stuff that gets confusing about this and a lot of noir for me is the way characters talk to each other you think that the details they're talking about are important. So you start doing that thing where, or this is what I do. I start like trying to file them away in the back of my head, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. But, okay. But yeah. then you get to like 20 minutes in the movie and you're like, I have 45 files already. Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do with all of this? And I think like a lot of noir, I'm starting to learn this the more I watch. Those details are not actually important. It's more about like how the characters interact with each other. The details kind of like, They just kind of unfold the way they unfold. And if you just kind of follow along with the more like emotive things that the characters are doing, I think it's a little easier to follow. I don't know if that like tracks for either of you, but like I think this is perfect because I often have this problem with Joey whenever we watch movies that are so visually stunning. Um, I always go back to Only God Forgives, something mm-hmm. along those lines that are like hyper-saturated and like the cinematography's great, that I get really lost in the story. Mm-hmm. But because of this one not needing much story, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm really in it. And like, I was doing the opposite of what you're doing. Like, you're like registering away facts and I'm just like consumed by what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not missing, well, I'm missing everything, but I'm not missing anything. And like, it just feels more direct in that sense. I genuinely, 
genuinely think that that is like the intent of this movie though, right? Like you're watching yeah. this movie the quote unquote correct way. Not that there's any correct way to write a movie, but it's like, I think that that's definitely Suzuki's intent with something like this, where it's like, I, I just want you to have like this, I don't know, this very like sensual experience yeah. is what I would call it, you know? Yeah, no, it's just like for your eyeballs. Like yeah. this, this felt like a movie you could definitely watch on drugs, right? Like, 100%. There's like some movies that like you can't, you'd be like, oh, I don't know what the fuck's that. Like this is just like, no, you could watch a lot of different drugs you could have been taking watching this movie and you'd have been like, yeah, that was a really fun experience. Would you have gotten everything that happened? No, but like it would have been fun. Yeah. And it would have looked great. This is, I, I've been having this experience a lot over the last year where I am starting to appreciate certain like style things and the way style can actually kind of convey story in its own way. And, you know, I think, you know, you referenced um, Nicholas Winding Refn and I think he's like a great example of this. I mean, Drive is very much, I think, a movie that's indebted to this movie. It is a lot of just like stylized color choices and a sort of silent protagonist you know this guy has that kind of quality about him i think Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i i don't even know what i'm trying to say i just have been appreciating these kind of experiential movies lately i don't don't know how else to say it and i just i think this movie is like one of the more i don't know brilliant examples of that that i've seen where i just am like both times i've watched it i was totally wrapped up in it just like when they have that fucking meeting at the dance club where the dance club is like cleared out and it's just like four people sitting in like a pattern across from each other and it's like the purple ceiling and the red yeah. floor. It is so gorgeous. I have no idea what those fucking dudes are talking about. I don't know what the <laughs> hell that meeting is about. I love watching it though. Because to use your metaphor of like the file, like I did have like 45 files. Yeah. But I'm like, But like each file has one thing in it and I'm like, I don't know what. what? So I started it over and then I'm like, okay, I got a building file, I got a good guy's file <laughs> yeah. and I got a bad guy file and that and was as, it as i was watching this movie i'm like okay tetsu okay got tetsu okay yeah. cool tetsu good tetsu tatsu what the fuck okay <laughs> yep. okay tetsu good tatsu bad yeah. okay karada okay karada is the guy who owns the building so he kind of goes on both these files but then by the end like karada's not a good guy anymore right. i'm like oh boy like but like i'm saying names out loud because like they're not names i've heard before and i'm like i don't know i'm like okay Karada's the old guy, but like Karada's only spoken of for the first like fifteen minutes. Right. And then we finally see him, but like there's then Mr. Yoshi, who like I thought was Karada at first. But, <laughs> same, uh, same. I'm like, I did. I don't. What? Okay, okay. I mean, if you want to fully break your brain in a way that <laughs> maybe will like resolve this problem of filing too many things that I also have. I watched this great series last year uh, that you might be familiar with. They're known as like the Yakuza Papers, but they're the battle. Is it a book? Well, yeah, there was a book called the Yakuza Papers that they're based on. I read parts of the book. Okay, so the first movie is called Battles Without Honor and Humanity. I'm not sure, but I think we might be covering that. Like That one caught my eye because I think... Sonny Chiba is in the second one. Yeah. And there's a song in Kill Bill with that title. Yes. Yes, correct. It's like a five film cycle that were made in like two years. I think in like the 70s. They're fucking great. They're really, really good. There is no possible way to follow (laughs) them like at all. There are so many fucking characters. They're all in different Yakuza gangs. They're constantly <laughs> switching sides. You're con- it's like it is unfucking real how like dense the layers of family and betrayal are in them. Do you have to watch the first one to watch the second one, or are you saying like it doesn't matter because you can't understand them anyway? I, frankly, probably you could watch them divorced of each other, but they are like very much a continuing story. Like they, it, okay, it is okay. like a five film cycle that is about basically the rise and fall of the Yakuza in Japan after World War II. It, gotcha. it, it, okay. It's literally cool. like we drop a bomb, 
the bomb decimates their economy to the point that they have to start a black market in order to survive. The black market necessitates that there be these gangs that protect it. And then eventually those gangs go on to sort of like try and usurp more and more power around the city and become a problem themselves. It's like, it's a really interesting, great series of movies that are clearly like a huge influence on everything from like Scorsese to Tarantino, but they, they are impossible to follow. Like they, there is no way to track what's happening in them. And, and it literally, it finally broke me of like, I was like, oh, okay, so this is what like noir and this kind of stuff is. I don't know. You just have to swallow that you cannot follow it in that way. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? And it looks like these are all on both Prime and Tubi. So if you want just like more, just they're out there, right? Like it's not, oh, yeah. it's not like what I love about these is that they feel like the way you're describing them, the way that they are and how old they are and whatever, like it feels like these very easily could be the things that are like lost to the sands of time. You have to pay like hundreds of dollars for like an import, like a region yeah. free or like whatever. Like, but the fact that they're been preserved and they've been distributed and they're like on these platforms that are like relatively easy to access. Like, I love that. Like, they're not for everyone, but if you want to watch a five movie series, there's apparently like a new battles without honor. Like, there's a three. I yep, don't know. Yep. You can do it. Like, I love that. Like this weird slice of like film history, at least weird to us, right? Like it survived. But it's it's exactly what you're saying to us. It is to them, right? This was just like schlock that you oh, yeah. find in the five dollar Walmart bin, right? Like because they're just cranking them out. So yeah, just... it, it's really wild to because I I have like I've been thinking about this a lot lately with film preservation because like I've been watching more and more older movies. I've been watching quote unquote like weirder movies. Sure, and you know like a, a lot of like heavy movie nerds these days are into like stuff that was shot on video in like the nineties yep. when like you know people were just like being able to buy VHS tapes that were blank in a video store, pop them into a camera, and make a movie in their back. Backyard. There's yeah. a ton of stuff that like will very easily be lost to time. That's literally like VHS tapes. That's nothing. A lot of these movies never got released in any meaningful way, but they're like floating around out there and people are trying to preserve them. And on one hand, you're like, why do we need to preserve the backyard movie that somebody made? And on the other hand, it's like, because 50 years from now, somebody's going to look at it and be like, this is a weird, meaningful piece of pop culture. You know what I mean? Like, th- yeah. it happens all the time. Uh, and it's it's worth kind of trying to, like, preserve these things. Because I agree. It's like, these Suzuki movies feel like, quote-unquote, disposable in some way. Because they were. That's what they were intended to be. That's literally what the studio wanted him to make. And instead, he, like, made this kind of piece of art that, I, I don't know, it's like, it, it in some ways, it's so deconstructed and so divorced of quote unquote, like just like plot that it does stand the test of time. You know what I mean? Like it, it actually will continue to make sense for a long time because it's just it feels very relevant. That, yeah. That's a great, that's what I was thinking when I was watching. I'm like, you're absolutely right. If, there's nothing about this. that feels overly dated. Like just yeah. maybe like the look and vibe of it, but like it doesn't, the story doesn't feel dated. No. And, and even the look and vibe is so distinctive that I think, you know, the way like fashion kind of goes in and out in these like 20 year mm-hmm. cycles or whatever, like, there is always going to be a new, quote-unquote, like, aesthetic crowd that, like, discovers these things and is like, holy shit, I can't believe they made this in 19-whatever, you know? And yeah. that's only going to become increasingly weird as we drive further and further into the future, that people are still like, wow, this 1970s, you know, Japanese movie made for $10 is just, like, this kind of, like, weirdly beautiful piece of art. God bless cinema preservationists. Like, it's just, it's a thankless job, but, like, you know, it gives us something to talk about. It's worth doing, sure. and, you know, Tarantino, I, not that I... I don't know why I keep bringing him up. I'm not even like the world's biggest Tarantino fan, but he's like the greatest remix artist, right? And yeah. so it's yeah. like 
the reason to preserve things like this is because like, okay, maybe this movie doesn't make any sense, but the guy that loves this movie and ends up making Kill Bill and is able to incorporate some of these style elements into a movie that does make a little more sense and is a little more palatable to an audience, that's worth it, right? It's like that can exist without this movie already having been made. Yeah. So you have to preserve it so that that weird aesthetic nerd can watch it 20 years from now and be inspired to make a quote unquote like better thing uh, that uses those kind of like style choices or whatever. And like, you know what we found two laps ago when we were doing the classic car movies is that like, you know, when he made Death Proof, he was specifically referencing, you know, a handful of movies that we watched, but like, it's more, even if those movies that he loves, like they don't exist, like watching movies of that kind, like if you're not able to watch vanishing point you're not able to watch Tulane blacktop or whatever like if you're able to watch movies like from the 60s and 70s that are like of that style like at least you can kind of get the sense of like oh i get what he's going for yeah and like it's cool to see the actual source like this movie i think specifically and like how it was black and white before the credits and then color after the credits just like in kill bill Mm -hmm. and like when uma when the bride battles like the crazy 88s like the way that looks is like this Mm -hmm. like just even if this movie didn't exist if you're watching yakuza movies like of the time i mean maybe not maybe this is a specific example but like you can be like oh, I see where he's pulling things from. Mm-hmm. Or like Lady Vengeance and stuff, where it's like, oh, that's the Oren Ishii fight. Like, right. exactly. Like, just extract. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like, whatever you're doing, it's great to have the source materials. But I think even if not, like, if you're like, oh, here's some other like random ass Yakuza movies that like were just other times like, oh, okay. Like, I can see like what he grew up on, what he ingested yeah. and what he like transformed into whatever. I have been getting more and more into that, the uh, just like film history and, and watching the medium actually develop most Mostly because it's like, I don't know, the the longer, uh, the more movies I watch and the longer I, I sort of, I don't know, live and watch more of the medium. It's like, oh yeah, it, it is, it's a progression. N- none of these guys like exist in a vacuum. So yeah. it's like, you know, when you're young, you whatever, I idolize Steven Spielberg and I'm like, wow, what like an amazing director. And in my mind, he's just this like incredible genius that somehow made Jaws. You know, he's not, he exists on this continuum. And, and he exists as a fan of X, Y, and Z. And his movies are influenced by those things that he was a fan of. I don't know. So the longer I'm interested in it, the more I, I just become interested in those things. Like, you know, the same way, like when I was growing up, it's like you find a band you like and you're like, well, okay, what were they listening to? And then that gives yep, you like yep. three more mm-hmm. bands that you like. And then you're like, well, what were they listening to? And that gives you like four more bands that you like. You know what I mean? I'm sure that you're the same way, but like the more that I watch and I watch a, a stupid, like an unhealthy amount of things, but like a lot of what I watch, like it's not like I have friends who are like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm like, that's not even like, it just like, it doesn't even register. For yes. me. That's just like, I've watched so much absolute dreck and schlock and shit that like you would never sit through. That is way worse than that. But like the more that I see, it's just like, it gets lumped into like, that was okay. I'm never going to think about that again. Yeah. But like what you're talking about, Garrett, it's like the two ends of the spectrum. It's like things that I have never seen before. Some of which is like the worst stuff I've ever seen, but some of it just like, I can't believe this was made. And like, just like seeking out those genres and those like niches and those different places and formats and whatever. Like it just opens you up to like, I can't believe that someone like made like, it, like this shouldn't exist. And it's amazing that it does. Yeah. I- I'm with you. I mean, this, this movie was a huge discovery for me mostly because it was just like a random recommendation from somebody i turned it on not knowing 
anything about it and was just like, oh, this is like incredible. It, it yeah. just like really, I don't know. I was like very taken with it. I'm also, I'm a big fan of, um, for some reason, this movie lives in my mind with Blood and Black Lace. Have either of you ever seen that? No. I don't even think I've heard of that. So Blood and Black Lace is a Mario Bava movie that is like a Giallo movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that genre. It's kind yeah. of like a, it's like, yep. it's like a proto slasher genre, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like a, it's like a slasher that takes place at like a boutique, like a fashion boutique kind of. But it just is like has these bright neon colors, uh, and and it's just similarly just sort of like very uh, just a sumptuous like I don't know every frame feels like a painting kind of movie you know and I uh, I don't know I'm I've been into that lately just that kind of like very aesthetic for aesthetic sake uh, and I, I just I that I was so excited you guys invited me on because I, I this movie lives in my brain recently as just like the prime example of that being a successful way to actually tell a story. Because I do think there is something going on in this movie. Like, it's not just the aesthetics. There is, like, something happening here, uh, you know, about... And and we could talk about this because I think this is where it relates to the Fast and Furious movies. There's something about, like, loyalty and whether it even makes sense to ever be loyal to anyone or not. That is kind of running throughout this whole movie that I think is, like, really interesting. And they're having him question his own want for loyalty. Right. You know, he's traveling around and he's like becomes like kind of his own self, his his own lone lone wolf. But then he runs into like a dude that's like older who now is like his own his like other sage that's like, hey, why are you being loyal like that? Like, yeah, green you know jacket guy, right? The guy with the green yeah, jacket. Yeah, the green jacket guy yeah, yeah. with shooting star. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. By the way, when you join the Yakuza in these movies, you get a sweet ass nickname. Awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. If you ever watch a Yakuza movie, being a Yakuza seems cool as hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems very, very cool. In, like, American mob movies, I feel like, you know, you can tell that, like, certain members of the mob are so low on the totem pole, they don't actually get a whole lot out of being in the mob. But it seems like being in a Yakuza is, like, you always get a fine-ass suit. You always get money to gamble with. You always have something to drink. You know what I mean? Tattoos. Yeah, yeah. Sick tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he, like, meets the other guy, and he's, like, now, like, his own, like, hey, like, he makes, he wants him to reflect on what loyalty and trust mean to himself. Yes. And that's a really interesting thing to think about, right? Like, because he's, like, a young kid, so he's, like, no, like, I was brought up, like, you need to be loyal, you Mm -hmm. need to be trusting. And, like, this guy flipping it on it is something that is still, like okay to do today this is like the very timeless part about it right like you can still relate to that like should you be loyal for being loyal or you know who do you trust why do you trust them i mean not to be too political but in you know 2020 and 2021 i I couldn't watch anything without like thinking about what's happening around me and this whole movie's thing about loyalty and exactly what green jacket guy shooting star is trying to instruct the drifter about is just like blind loyalty is exactly how you get taken advantage of like blind yep. loyalty is how you will be undermined later. You will be used to accomplish a bunch of goals that then will be your undoing. I don't think I have to be any more specific than that to say how that is yeah. related to what's happening in at least America. You know, I do think this movie has something interesting to, to say about that. I don't know what that means to Suzuki necessarily as like an artist and filmmaker. You know, I think it's an interesting thing to question, especially on the larger uh, continuum of just like Yakuza movies. These movies are are always about these honestly they're about what like fast and furious movies are about they're about family they're about these like tight-knit groups that do have like extreme loyalty 
to themselves. A lot of these movies end up being about characters that have to kill themselves because they were disloyal. It like runs very deep in these movies, this idea of like family and loyalty to one's family and the sort of chosen family that you have when you decide to live a life of crime. And I think that this movie is like basically trying to deconstruct that. And it's deconstructing it so hard that the movie itself is like deconstructed. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's just these like shapes and colors and like a guy with a gun, you know? It's like, literally that's what he, he's just a guy with a gun. That's like the movie just, deconstructs it that far that's who he is he just drifts around as a man with a gun and that's all he has and all he is he also has the ability to like roll out of the way of bullets which (laughs) he does over and over in this movie and if he knows that he's exactly 10 yards away he knows he always will make the shot yeah and by the way like 10 yards is so important he has to figure but like somehow his brain is also able to calculate 10 yards yes there's always these like markers in the world that he's like ah well that's 15 yards away so obviously I will be 10 yards away when I am 5 yards closer to that <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's this was the other part of this. So like the movie's beautiful and there's like all kinds of stuff and then like sometimes there's very serious parts. The plot's kind of convoluted, but but then they'll have something like why in this film are there two references to the brand of hairdryer that people are using? Dude, I thought about that too. I have no <laughs> idea. Like, part of me thinks, like, that's another Nakatsu thing, that that's, like, some sort of advertising so... deal they had, and they had oh. to put a fucking, like, you know what You're I mean? Right. Because one of them, one of the guys, like, did you think I was too old to use this? Like, no, like, it's just like, no, like, anybody can, oh, man, yeah. A charm girl hair dryer? You have a charm girl? <laughs> yeah. And then there's, like, a poster for a charm girl. And then, like, yeah, it felt like, it was, like, like super product placement, right? Like, it was just, like, so in-your-face slapped in the middle, like, stamped in the middle of this movie. Yes. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that kind of feels like the thing where, like, Nakatsu was probably like, okay, we need you to mention this three times. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to, but, like, if you want, like, this is what we're going to do. Yes. It feels like an act of rebellion it's just like yeah you want product placement here's how it's going to be like it just you know essentially like a like the only thing you go further is like a red and stimpy-esque like just commercial for log at the top of your movie like here like buy a hair dryer like happy <laughs> now it's like no that's not what we wanted yeah. Like, yeah. by the way speaking of slapped you said that stuff was slapped on my other favorite thing about this movie is that dudes slap the ever-loving shit out of each other in this movie yeah. <laughs> like yeah. constantly like anytime they need to settle anything they just fucking slap each other and like so hard guys go flying in this movie when they get hit. It's, it reminds me of Charlie Murphy when he's yeah. like, no, there has to be a duel afterwards. Like, yeah. you don't just slap a man like that. The first, like, three times it happened, I was like, wow, wild. And then by the end of the movie, it's like, <laughs> there are straight up slap fights. You know what I mean? It's like, it is full on just everybody is slapping everybody. The part where, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. So, they're in, like, the north. They send, like, the two Tokyo guys to go get our main guy, Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. yeah, right. Tetsu, yeah. Tetsu. Yeah, I didn't know which one's Tatsu and which one's Tetsu. <laughs> Tatsu's so the bad guy. Tetsu's the good guy. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. So they send the two guys to go get him, right? And meanwhile, they're in a Yakuza war of their own in the north country, or wherever the fuck he is, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So they're running, and they, they all show up with samurai swords. <laughs> I was like, okay, didn't feel like it was that kind of movie, but sure. And then he, like, so they're, like, having this, like, giant samurai sword fight in the middle of this thing the the bad guy walks up shoots one and goes stupid hicks and just like what the fuck like he just like he's like the only one with a gun in that scene and just like shoots one's like why are you playing with swords stop so here's another like weird funny nikatsu thing and it's like again i don't even know if i'm just like creating this context myself from like the few little things i've seen but like the couple other nikatsu movies i saw they have these big brawls in them. I don't know how to describe it, but they're like, they're chaos. They're not filmed in any particular way. They just like set a camera down, tell a hundred extras to run at each other, 
and just like throw any piece of the set you can find, throw it at each other. Like just smash it over each other. And they're horrible. They look like they look like nothing. They always take yeah. place in like train yards. Like this movie has a bunch of train yards in it. They're in the Katsu movies all the time. I guarantee that's just outside the studio. You know what I mean? Like wherever the sets yeah. are, right outside is a train yard. Every movie gets filmed there for outdoor stuff. He I really feel like he is literally like insulting the studio that is giving him money with all of that stuff. Like he's like, you guys always do these dumb fucking shit brawls. I'm going to have these guys show up for the dumb fucking shit brawl with all the dumb fucking shit brawl stuff like the swords that you want them all to have in my movie that takes place now with guns. And so I'll just have him Indiana Jones him. Like I'm just going to have him shoot, you know, like I'm just going to insult what your movies are through that shot. I may be reading way too much into that, but I do feel like that's like a little bit what's going on. It tracks, brother. I'm with you. Well, I also love that like there's the burlesque dancer, like the woman who's like a huge badass. She like knees like four dudes in the face like at the start of that (laughs) brawl. Like everybody's a fighter. It's like, why? What? Why? Also, there's just like a bunch of random white people in this movie too. Like, oh, yeah. I get that there's like soldiers and stuff, but like I was just like, oh shit, yeah, like where the fuck did these people come from? Like that brawl in particular, I think, has a lot of the really good comedy in the movie, especially that dancer in the background. That like the camera is not even focused on her, and she is just doing choreography on these guys. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It's and like even a little bit feels to be like that woman just need a guy in the face. You know what I mean? Like the camera was on, she knew no one was stopping her. She's just gonna take her opportunity to just fucking deck one of these dudes it's beautiful and i like i like these elements that they cut in this minus the hair dryers but like the elements of humor that they cut in here when they march all the guys in that scene into a line and like the girls just like line them up and then all bonk them on the head i was like where the fuck did that come from that's just it's so zany like how do you combine these two elements and make something that is still beautiful it is such a weird thing and again it's like it's all coming from this like nakatsu shit like that's very much what they wanted him to make and so it's like you can feel the movie that he still has to be making inside of this movie, mm-hmm. but it's the most he kind of like breaks down those walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the beginning, I think Tetsu's meeting with maybe Karada, maybe Mr. Yoshi, I don't remember, but he's like, oh, there's no woman around, I don't know what to do. And he like brings out this tray of food, mm-hmm. but the tray of food is like three whole apples, a whole orange, celery that hasn't been cleaned or cut, and then like Scotch. a bowl for like him to drink out of. It's like it's not even a glass. He just brings a bowl. It's like this guy is like the most incompetent buffoon of like a, a host ever. Yeah. And then like later, and it's not as funny like that. I just cracked up at that. But then later, Tetsu gets shot in the arm. Like there, he's like it's him against a warehouse full of dudes. And he gets shot, and then he just, like, walks away, and he's, like, again, whistling his theme song or whatever. And then the guy's just like, how dare he sing? It's just like, well, just don't get mad at it. Like, just, I don't know. Like, it's just, like, these <laughs> weird little asides that I'm like, this is so funny in a movie that, like, you're just, like, clawing at, like, whatever you can, like, grab onto. I'm like, these are, it's very good. I don't know. I, I Now that I've seen this a couple, like, I actually, I followed it a little more uh, watching it again for your show. I I don't know. It made, like, a little more sense to me in, like, a, a plot sense, but I, every time I've watched it, I just have, uh, I don't mind saying, like, smoked a big old bowl and just kind of, like, yep. sat back and relaxed and, like... That's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what shot I always think about, too, is the one... I can't remember exactly the setup for this, but, like, 
like the secretary woman gets like shot and then that guy that maybe has like a, a crush on her or something like walks in to find her dead on the floor and the yeah. background is like stark white but there's red that is just sort of starting yep. to yep. fall in the background that by the time Tetsu shows up has become fully and completely red but Tetsu's presence there is what cleans the red and turns it back to white which is a thing that happens again later in the movie actually I noticed uh, watching it this time he there's a couple of times that when he shows up the colors all shift to white I don't really know the what lighting. that means but yeah uh, it's it, so it's like he shows up he's like the savior yeah like everything changes from color to like bright white light yeah he like shows up in spotlight like the whole the weird musical theater play types vibes of like the lighting and stuff like and light changes for the mood was great too yeah for some reason that shot in particular of the guy standing with a gun over that woman's body with these sort of half red half white background really really speaks to me and just like a like that image alone I just like would like I would like to buy a TV like a 65 inch TV (laughs) get just like those six frames and have them put on a loop that is just always playing on my wall somewhere you know what I mean (laughs) so there are new like Samsung has this idea for TVs where they're like when your TV's not on it's now an art piece and like they just yes. have like Paintings. art that they've loaded in that like when your screen is off it's like oh it just looks like a painting on the wall like do that but with this it's like yes. is this a movie it's like no that's just that's my art it's just this one I didn't know this job existed until you just said that and I just invented it I am just going I need to figure out how to be the guy that programs those TVs like give yeah. me the give me the keys cuz I will make you the most beautiful <laughs> television of like the just aesthetic movie scenes that are just playing in the background on your wall. And it'll be yeah. it'll be things like Death Spa. Like it'll be things that you're like oh, I've never seen classic. this. I will never know about this. But this beautiful beautiful purple lighting as a man's head gets blown off is needs to be on my wall. <laughs> We mentioned him earlier, and I think this is a much more mainstream and less obscure reference than Death Spa, which is a great movie, Yes, and everybody should see Death Spa if they can. I remember when I saw The Neon Demon, mm-hmm. the credits come on, and the credits to that movie are more beautiful than like <laughs> almost any other movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, how? Like, it, it, it feels like a flex and a show-off, and just like... Okay, like, what what are we watching? Oh, we're we're just watching the credits to the Neon Demon because like it's that fucking beautiful. It's just like I don't like. There's just some people who like I don't know where I fall on the continuum. Like I kind of like definitely want more style than substance. Like I remember talking to past guests of the show, Tobin Addington. Like he is so firmly entrenched in substance and just like he will have like you know that's all what he's about. But I'm like I don't know, man. Like. Like, Spring Breakers is another obvious one, but I'm just like, like yep. give me something that, like, is bathed in neon mm-hmm. and, like, give me, like, some kind of plot. I don't really care, but, like, if it looks cool, I'm going to think it's cool, like, generally. And then there's guys, you yeah. know, there's a whole, like, wave of, like, modern horror that, like, I'm drawn to their movie posters over and over again, and they're all letdowns. Like, yeah. I don't remember the one guy's name, and I'm not, I wouldn't blow him up, blow up his spot, but, like, there's one director who, like, I hate every single movie he makes, but all of his posters look so goddamn cool, <laughs> and I just... It drives me crazy. I'm like, what? Like, it's my aesthetic, and I hate what you make. But you know, <laughs> we got to talk after the show. I feel like I have a strong guess as to who it is, and I fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk off air. But I'm just like, fuck, like, it's all the most beautiful, yeah. but yeah. So this is a thing where I feel like as a young film snob, I was very much like a substance person. Only, I don't know, recently, the last like five, ten years or whatever, have I, I don't know, it's like, it's a visual medium. I've really grown to appreciate like telling your story through the 
visual part of the medium. I think I am growing more and more attracted to movies that are maybe more style than substance, but in my opinion, I think what I'm starting to reckon with is that the style is the substance in a lot of cases. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's like you know, there's that the medium is the message, right? Like if you're not if you're if you're making a movie that isn't like taking advantage of the fact that like it's a visual thing, like, okay, but like why did it have to be a movie? Like, I know that's like a weird question. Write a like, book. Yeah. Right yeah, why couldn't it have been a podcast or why couldn't it have been a book or why couldn't it have been like a radio play? Like yeah. if you're going to make me focus and look at a thing for 90 minutes or whatever, 88 minutes, let's call it 88 minutes, make it worth it. I think there's room for all of this stuff, right? Like, I actually, I do enjoy a good mumblecore movie on occasion, right? Like, I I can go for a, a much less style and, and maybe uh, quite a bit more substance. I can go for that. I, I think there's room for all of these things. I just am starting to appreciate the, the style part of it a lot more and the way it can be used for substance. And I do think that ultimately, at the end of the day, like, if you're putting in front of me I, I don't even know what good examples would be but but a Nicholas Winding Refn movie and a Mumblecore movie like I'm probably going to watch the Refn movie you know yeah. even if I find it problematic I think I'm still going to watch the Refn movie you know what I mean like it, it just I think that there is there's something there that um, David Lynch is maybe the actual prime example of this of just like where the style itself becomes substance and then the substance subverts the style and vice versa and like each of those things are deconstructing each other to the point that like story doesn't matter anymore but it's all being conveyed in the visuals. It, it, yep. Maybe that's the prime example of what we're kind of getting to as we're discussing this. And then every once in a rare while, it's a movie that I've mentioned on here before. Someone like Amy Simetz comes along and makes She Dies Tomorrow. And it's like, oh, this is a mumblecore movie that looks like a Refn movie, kind of. And yeah. Like Michelle Rodriguez is in it. It's like, oh, okay. I quite liked that movie. My favorite part of that movie is that uh, Adam Wingard showed up in that movie, who's a, a, a real favorite of mine. I didn't know by having your picture everywhere be, you know, from the guest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah. That's great. I love it. And uh, he's the uh, he's the four wheeler guy in that movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that's yes. Adam Wingard. Yeah. Joe, any other notes? Any other thoughts? Any fast connections? I have a couple minor fast connections. I was kind of I didn't take a ton of notes on this, but any other thoughts about Tokyo Drifter before we play some games? I really liked the false elevator for no reason. <laughs> yes. That was one of my favorite parts. I don't know why that existed or how that existed, but it did, and it was beautiful. Tetsu is chasing these guys, and they get into this false elevator, and then he, like, pries the doors open and, like, runs in, but just, like, falls to the floor. Yeah, they're just in front of him somehow. So when I watched it the second time, it made a little more sense to me. What they have is, like, a plank. Okay, so there's a canyon, right, between the the end of that doorway and where they're (laughs) standing, and there's a plank that goes between that canyon that they run across and then pull up as the doors close so that when he opens the doors, there is no floor where he just saw floor and he thinks he can run but just falls into the canyon. Does that kind of yep. make sense? Yeah, it's totally Wiley e. Coyote. It's like a drawbridge in a moat. Yes, kind of, yes. Like, you don't know that there's a moat there. No, you have no idea. It's so and funny. And they look like they're in an elevator. And yes. like the door is yeah. like an elevator yep. and they're standing like they're in an elevator and he just boop. But by the way, in that thing, that's one of my fast connections because when he falls down the elevator it's not really an elevator shaft but he falls down the elevator thing furious seven too slow too slow mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> vehicle wise mm. i think they do a good job trains boats 59 oldsmobile super 88 celebrity sedan is like i think they I get the the car like that's kind of his car right is that the one that has the kind of like ska checkerboard uh, <laughs> yes, on it? Yes, yes. <laughs> 
very ska of it. Yes, I agree. Straight up looks like a ska mobile. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that. The driving on the water was very, again, we know it's not in Fast and Furious, but we always reference it. Like, it feels like driving in the LA aqueducts. Mm -hmm. The structure and, like, the style behind it, it felt like that. So I was, like, feeling very Fast and Furious in the car, too. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that Fast Connection, but the that car sequence where, like, it's actually, like, a really weird sequence where, like, someone, whoever he's driving thinks they're being driven by someone else. And then yep. it turns out to be Tetsu, and then he just drives like a wild man to just kind of injure them in his back seat. <laughs> and that's it. Then it ends. The scene ends. Yep. There's no conclusion. I, I had to re- I was like, Rachel, what did I? I'm like writing down like, oh, like, you know, driving through water part. Yep. And like, I look up and they're in an arcade. Yep. And I was like, what did I miss? Nothing. There's like three different times in this movie <laughs> where like, it literally feels like there's a whole scene that he was just like, Ah, that was boring shit, and yeah, he just stops it. right in the middle of the scene, you know? Yep, yeah, like when, like when he like gets shot, and then they're like, he's like, he's like, I'll stay with you, and then he's outside, and he's like, damn it, he left. And yeah. It's like, how did we get there? <laughs> like, this happens in all of his movies multiple times. <laughs> I don't know if it's like, you know, Nakatu was like, hey, your movies can't be more than 80 minutes, and so he has to make tough cuts. Or if he's just like, whatever, like whatever it was that was in the script that they obviously filmed and are just cutting away from, he was just like, yeah, whatever, boring shit, who cares, fuck it, like, (laughs) it's gone. That's what it feels like to me, like, he was just like, don't care about that part, just skip it. I can see him standing there with, like, like, with the script and just rip, like, four pages out and just, like, throw it. He's like, no, we don't need those. I I picture him as a guy that's, like, smoking a lot of cigarettes as he edits his movie and is either intentionally or sometimes maybe accidentally just dropping cigarettes onto the film as he's cutting it (laughs) and just, like, losing whole scenes and, like, ah, fuck it, whatever, you know. You know, I just realized we did not do our question every movie, and like, I was, oh, this is a nice way to like maybe end the discussion on it. But like, what's everybody's like? What's the pick for the coolest moment in the movie, Joe? Do you have a pick for coolest moment in Tokyo Drifter? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of options here. It could be something we talked about or something we didn't talk about. Because I have one I think that we didn't talk about yet that I'm going to save. But uh, pick for coolest moment. I I think that we had to go back to something that we talked about and the Garrett brought up at the end when they come on to like that stage set, and when he walks in, the spotlight just hits him. <laughs> yeah. Like if you could walk into a room. The spotlight hits you. That's fucking cool. Yes. Like I think that's my coolest moment. I don't. My, mine might be the um, you know, the the red and white background thing that I was talking about earlier. But sure. to use this oppor- as an opportunity to to just bring another one up is like at some point early in the movie they keep trying to sell us on how he's like a great killer. But for like the first twenty minutes, he is like actively trying not to kill anybody because yeah. they, they have like some kind of like peace treaty or whatever the fuck right like the, like his his master retired good. or whatever yeah they've gone no, good he's, he's going good they're trying right. to turn good they're, they're, they're trying to revert like they're going they're going clean right and so like everybody's talking about how good a killer he is but he's not doing it and then all of a sudden there's like this cut where we just flash to him on like a black background as if he's James Bond <laughs> just like firing a gun in a bunch of different <laughs> positions and the gun like has these, I don't know, these, like, and and it happens every time he uses the gun throughout the movie, these, like, red flashes. Like, I've never yeah, really... Yeah, and s- that's, that's the Criterion cover, too, which is just, like, yeah. it's, cra- like it's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a, it's a really cool effect in the movie, too, the way it's, like, edited together into the movie. It's, it's just, like, a great, really weird, interesting sequence. And one of the weird style things about the movie, like, I don't know even how they did that or why they did that, but every gun that fires has, like, a red kind of firework that goes off. It's cool. Yeah, they're, like, flares or something. Yeah. You know, we've kind of danced around... No pun there. Like I thought, like <laughs> there, there's dancing. There's dancing in this movie. They oh, yeah. go to clubs and like whatever. But like we yes. dance around what my cool moment is here. It's at the end again. He's got a gun held to him. They're mm. like 
toss your gun over here, and he does it in a way. Oh my god! Oh my god! Where he tosses the gun in the air, he alleyoops like, himself, runs and catches it, yeah, <laughs> and shoots a guy with it. It's but like awesome. That should never happen. No, like there's no, there's no way. There's no version of physics or time or reactions where he should be able to like throw it in the air, psych a guy out somehow, <laughs> run and catch him and use it. But I'm like, this is that's fucking cool. This is this is what we talk about. Like what we talk about with Wells, like how to end a movie. Like if somebody's like, like put your gun down and you threw it in the air, somebody would be like, bang bang, you're dead. There you go, cool. Like you didn't you didn't run to catch that. There's no way you're getting like you throw the gun in the air. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm gonna shoot you now. You know what I think is cool about that moment, and I don't know if you guys will agree with this, but. It is a fully ridiculous moment that I, it's like the moment you see it, you're like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I, like, totally believe it in this. But there's something about the yeah, way it's edited. Yeah. It's edited, like, really fast. The the way that he moves and psychs that guy out and then, like, runs to catch his gun. It, like, something about the editing makes he it look like. some frames or something. Yeah, it looks, like, superhuman fast. And it <laughs> makes you believe that, like, it does have, you know what I mean? Like, you, like, buy it. And then your brain is like, wait, but what? Like, it's like a second <laughs> later that you're like, hold on, what the fuck? But, like, in the moment, you're like, this works. Like, I, and I really, I love stuff like that in movies where, like, you know, you just, you are taking advantage of the medium to convince literally a person's brain that, like, something could happen that can't. You know what I mean? Like, also, that's, like, also, the movie Also, he's been feeding magic. us this yeah. throughout the whole movie. Like, we see, like, the fake elevator shaft and everything we're talking about. Like, yeah. you're like, okay, like, that's not too far-fetched because we've gotten all these little tidbits of, right. like, goofiness throughout the movie already. So you're like, yeah, that works. Yeah. I just think that's, like, a really impressive kind of, like, movie magic moment where you're just like, yeah, I'm in. I buy it. I want to say, before we move to the games portion, I'm having such weird... It's not deja vu, but, like, I watched this movie last night, and then this morning... I watched Varsity Blues, which is the next episode we're going to record, so the bonus episode on the Patreon, TooFastToForever.com. I think if you draw, like, a, a, if you, like, arrange movies by, like, type or genre or who it's for or whatever, like, it's hard to find movies that are less similar than Tokyo Drifter and Varsity Blues. <laughs> and yet, 10 or 15 different things we've talked about, I'm like, oh, that happened to Varsity Blues. I, I can't explain why there's so much crossover, because the movies are wildly radically different in yeah. every way. Varsity Blues is the kind of movie that like you can pay 5% attention to and know everything about. Yeah. And yet, I guess that's the same here. I guess there's that's a similarity. Well, I don't know, whatever. But like it's it's crazy to me how many things we've talked about also kind of happen in Varsity Blues. So like I don't know, like are we like is this all a simulation? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> Dude, I'm I, excited. We, we watched The Omen 3 for my podcast a couple weeks ago. Have you ever seen The Omen 3? I saw, like, the new... That's not the new one that came out in, like, the early 2000s. No, right? no, this is... Uh, so Sam Neill stars in this movie. You know, Sam Neill, my boy from Jurassic Park, Dr. Grant. Of course, yeah. Sam Neill stars in this movie as a young man. He's playing the son of Satan in the third Omen movie. It's a ridiculous movie. But the whole movie is, like, basically literally what's happening outside our windows. Like, it, it's... It's like one of those movies where you're like, hold on, what? This movie's about actually about like a plague and actually about like a businessman that becomes a politician and actually about like wow. it, you're just like and I feel like I, I'm with you on the simulation thing. Anything I do lately, I'm just like, how does all of this relate to each other? Like everything yeah. relates. It's super weird, man. Just open your mind, right? Yeah. 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 
Uh, we definitely Jeez. live in a matrix for sure. Garrett, any other thoughts about Tokyo Drifter, or do you want to play a couple games? Let's play a couple games. The, I, I had one more fast connection that I wanted to bring up that I sort Go of like loosely loosely brought. Uh, but the the, uh, the the idea of loyalty is like antithetical to the whole thing of Fast and Furious, right? Like this movie's idea that loyalty is what makes you vulnerable is like the opposite ah. of what Fast and Furious functions on. Fast and sure. Furious functions on the idea that loyalty to your family is what makes you superhuman, basically. That's a very good point. I think that there, there's, there's a hierarchy, right? Like, he's yeah. being loyal to his boss. Right. And I think in Fast and Furious, everybody's equal in their loyalty. Oh, interesting. Yes. The, uh, the, the, because there's no clear, I mean, Dom is obviously the quote unquote leader of our group, but because there's yes. no kind of like, clear so i don't think he would ever he's not the kind of guy that would claim like i, I you know like, I, i'm the I, i'm the team leader of this group you know like he, he i don't know he i don't think he would ever claim the title yes and, and there's something different about that there's something he he allows everyone to feel like they're on equal footing with him yeah and the balance of that i think plays into this being loyal up is being is different than being loyal like along the lines of like your friends right? yeah like, yeah that yes that makes sense I, I i buy what you're saying yeah that these are about like different kinds of loyalty yeah although that they're both like loyalty like it's it's different when you're an equal or you're like a yeah. subservient loyalty right so you imagine that at the uh, backyard barbecue that uh tokyo drifter doesn't end with but could they would not all sit around together and hold each other's hands right there would be someone at the head of the table and then people below them yeah because because he when he goes over to his house about the part that joey brought up yeah he said it feels weird that you're serving me yeah yeah he asks like do you like somebody else is like do you want me to get him to clean up this cigarette like there's clearly a structure there yeah yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen. Well, I mean, I guess me is the one clean, doing the dishes, right? <laughs> so that's bad. But she, there's like just her. Yeah, and... Fast and Furious's hierarchy is the American hierarchy of men versus women. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Sad but true. Yeah. Sad, Sad but, true. but true. All right. Let us watch the Tokyo Drifter trailer on YouTube. Tokyo Drifter trailer official by Cinemax. This might be in Spanish. I don't know. But also, the movie's not in English, so it, it doesn't matter. Who cares? So, yeah. I don't think any of us have ever seen this. We were talking about it before nope. we, started, we, start, we started recording. I don't know how you sell this movie in two minutes and 23 seconds, but we're about to find out. I'm ready. I'm ready whenever you are. All right. Three, two, one, play. Train starts. yard, as Garrett mentioned. Starts just like the movie starts. Black and white, yep. Okay. Oh, but we're at the end after he, like, got beat up. Okay, so it's in Japanese with Spanish subtitles. That's yeah. so funny. Got it. Yeah, this is the James Bond scene. Yeah. Look at that red, the way... Ah, oh, I love the way that looks. <laughs> oh, this sunglasses guy? This feels yes! like the Matrix. Yeah. And the music is actually really good. Oh, it's great. I hum this all the time. <laughs> I love his blue suit. Yeah. Oh, the blue suit is going to come up in 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 a thing we're doing later. I will mention the blue suit again, so don't you worry about that. We're gonna we're not done with the blue suit yet. Good, good. I want to play this. I want to play this arcade game too. That's just a gun in a wall. Wall. Yeah, there's there's the ska car. <laughs> yeah. We did see the red background. Like Garrett, this is basically like a greatest hits of like what you talked about with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I realized it's like, I was like, hey, how do you sell this movie? And it's like, oh, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's got all these beautiful frames you can cut to. Oh, also, the train runs up on him and he's just fine. Like, yeah. we don't we don't see him roll away from the train, nothing. He's just like, nope, he's he lived. He's yeah. good. All fine. All fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, this does kind of feel like the movie, like, not the, not this one, but, like, it does kind of feel like the movie where, like, you watch a trailer, you're like, this is, looks amazing, and then you go see it, you're like, oh, it was, like, two minutes of weirdness in, like, 90 minutes of boring, and, like, 
but it's not that. You know what I mean? But it's like, not that. Yeah. It, I've seen trailers like this. where are like, oh my god, this looks amazing. It's like, oh no, nothing like none of the other parts of the movie were like that. Right. The hanging donut. Oh yeah. Here. I love it. I know, and it's like it's red at one point, then it's yellow a little later. Like yep. I like the way they use the uh, the lighting changes throughout this last scene. Yep. To your point, Joe, it's like I do think this movie actually does kind of fulfill the promise of like what you see here. Yeah, it actually is like truly like stunning frame after stunning frame the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see. And Joe, there's your orange gun. Yep. Yeah. Which, like, totally unimportant. No idea why it's orange there or what it matters that it's broken. I don't know. No. Yeah. No me agas in thunder. Yeah. The trailers, this is one of the better trailers for a movie that, like, match the vibe, tone, and feel. Right? That's evidence of how actually, like, consistent its own vibe and tone is as a movie, you know? Yeah. There's so many yeah. movies that are not good at that, actually, where you can sell it because you've got two minutes, as you said, of, like, good stuff to sell it on, but that's all you have. This movie actually, like, has a consistent tone that, that runs throughout it, so it's like, yeah, you could pull any frame from it and you'd be able to sell it. Okay, we're going to play the letterbox game. So, Garrett, I know that you were sort of on... The, the the parts that we play in the game are not things that I normally look at, but if you think you know the answer, just exempt yourself. We can play have just Joe guess, but if you don't know, please feel free to guess. But for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterboxd, has been seen by 727,000 people. Jesus Christ. 727 Tokyo Drifter from 1966, directed by Seijun Suzuki, starring Tetsuya Watari. Tetsuya playing Tetsuya. Tetsuya Phoenix Tetsu Hondo. Chiko Matsubara and Tamio Kawachi has been seen by how many people? I literally don't know. I, I have actively like not paid attention to some of this so I could enjoy the game. So Oh good, cool. Fury Road is seven hundred and twenty seven. Is that what you said? Yes. Thousand? Yeah. I yeah. will tell you that that number will not help you here. <laughs> right, I know. Well I'm but trying think, to... okay, so Garrett, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. While I'm doing the math here, I'm thinking it's in a it's in the Criterion yes. collection, and not only that, it's on the Criterion Channel, and it's also a very Big. early, like it's Spine Thirty Nine. So this is yeah. one of the first mm. forty films the Criterion added to its collection. Yes, and it's like currently on the channel. So like just in the years that Letterboxd has existed, it's likely to have been seen by a lot more people. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, and you know the Letterboxd community. They love kind of like culty criterion yeah, yeah, type yeah. films. I mean, like, would I be crazy to say that like a hundred thousand people saw this movie? I think that's high. I'm gonna go thirty-five thousand. Okay. You are both too high though. We're both too high. Both too high. Below thirty-five. Whoa. I mean, is it like twenty? Is it like that far below? I was gonna go. I am going to stop you right there. It is twenty thousand one hundred. Garrett, right on Whoa. with the second guess. Twenty thousand beautiful Garrett. One hundred. Out of those 20,100, average rating of 3.8, most common a 4, then a 3.5, then a 3. This number actually went down one, I think, since yesterday. So one person no longer has this in their top four. But how many people out of those 20,100 have this in their top four favorite movies of all time? I, I can tell you one who does currently. Uh-huh. This guy, baby. I was going to make the joke of, like, we're going to go to... Uh, at Philadelphia, Garrett yeah. Smith on Letterboxd, but I don't see. think I could get Joe to guess 
any of the other three movies in your top four, even and we mentioned one of them multiple times on this episode. I don't think he would guess any of these. So you're probably right. And and uh, to be fair, my top four is always just like whatever I've recently been just kind of falling in love with. It's usually not a reflection of my. Oh yeah, top. but I, I'm glad you have this there because that's why you're here today. But yeah. out of those twenty thousand, including Garrett as once, you know, you know the number is at least one. Yeah. How many have in their top four? So Joe, what's your experience with this? Is it like are we talking like if it's twenty thousand, is it twenty people? Like what? W- like, what's the ratio we're, we're looking at with this? I was going to go for my first guess because, like, because think, you have to love the movie enough to put it top four. And, like, yeah. even if it's, like, something you found recently, this is kind of an older movie. Yeah. Like, modern movies usually stay in the top four. It's a little, you skew it a little bit yeah, higher. Yeah, yeah, So I'm going to go, I'm going to go really, this is, like, super niche. I'm thinking, like, six, six. is what my guess is going to be. All right, then I'll, then I'll do 20. I'm, I'm, I'm giving 20. 20 is my guess. You are both way too low. Oh, Whoa. damn. Okay. So if you see this movie, you love this movie. Yeah. Is, is what we're getting at. Okay. Um, I'm going to go 45. Uh, I'm, I'm going to edge him out. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to $1 you. 46. Still both way too low. God damn it. Uh, Give me 70? 75. 70. Garrett, what'd you say? 75. Both too low. One more guess. Good 100. God. 100 and call it. 200. 109. 109 <sighs> people Way more than have us in their top four, including Garrett. So here we go. That's a ton, dude. That's that's a lot for something like this. I better be in good company. So yeah. we found... there. There, I was looking through, Joe, and there's a bunch that of, of people that we have covered. Like, a lot of these movies, a lot of the top four and a lot of these profiles, like, I probably looked at about 30 or 40 of them. Like, a lot of them have Asian cinema just of some kind, either, like, Japanese or some Korean. But, like, it just, like, it feels like people who like this kind of movie like a lot of this kind of movie, right? Just, like... You know what's so funny? The one of my other ones is a, a movie called Tears of the Black Tiger, which is a, like an Indonesian movie. It's a, so there yeah. There you go. Proving the the not the exception that proves the rule, the rule that proves the rule. Whatever. Thai movie, I think actually. Just so that we I'm are accurate. going to go to Ben at Behamen, and this is he's got two reviews, and I I wasn't sure who to pick, and then I read the reviews, and I was like, okay. So his first review from October of 2019, four stars. Okay. Tetsu. My sky blue suit and white loafers stay on during sex. (laughs) Which I was like, yeah. The white loafers are super dope. We didn't talk about those, too. Just through the snow, fucking loafers. Dude, the style in this movie, like people's actual like fashion, on point. Yeah. And then Ben's second review, four and a half stars, later that same month, still mad, I'll never make a movie. This, cool. So fits in perfectly with our lap. So Ben's top four movies, this is his number two. His number four is a movie that I don't know how to get you to guess this. It's a movie we are going to. I don't know if this is. I don't know if you're going to remember the name of it or that we're doing this. But it's a movie. This is a spoiler for people who are listening. A movie we're going to cover this lap with the fruity films man himself. So what's a movie set in Japan about food that is well regarded? Oh. Jiro dreams of sushi. No, but that guess. does fit all the criteria. Not a documentary, though. I don't think. Is it? Uh, is it that movie? What is the Stephen Chow movie? Is it called like The God of Cookery or something like that? No, but that movie rules. That movie is great. Shit, I've never seen um, that. What movie set in Japan about food that we're going to cover with Kyle? Garrett, you have not seen this according to your letterbox, but it is on your watch list. You do want to see this. Is it fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three? No, I did that with Mike the other week for his podcast. Because that's a movie about pizza, by the way. Where they yes. go back to that's feudal how I Japan. Got there. Yes. Boy, okay, so I want to see this movie. It's all according on my watch to your letterbox. Give me another hint. It's from 1985. I don't know how to help you, Joe. Ken Watanabe is in this. Oh, I do love Ken Watanabe. Directed by Juzo Itami, who I've seen none of his things. Her things? Yeah, me neither. His things. Wait, is this like um 
like a god what the heck the food is ramen that's a big hint oh ramen is the thing huh oh this is tampopo tampopo oh i wouldn't have gotten it yeah that's good but it's a movie that we're going to cover later this lap with kyle so like i i don't know how to get you to guess it because i don't know what it's about other than ramen i know nothing about it either except that i believe you know there's the term spaghetti western i believe it's referred to as a ramen western love Uh, that yeah beautiful so that's Ben's number four. So his number one and his number three are still on the table. Number one is a movie that came out a couple years ago that I'm pretty sure we've had as a clue to guess in this game before. This is by a pair of... Actually, okay, here's a, here's a big hint for both of them. What? His number one and his number three are both made by brothers. Brothers. Two, two brothers. brothers. Work, two brothers. Okay. Working together on a movie. Different sets of brothers. Oh, one, interesting. They're, they're both still active. But one is much more recent, like new to the scene, and one has been one set has been around for a while. Is one set of them potentially like retiring, like they're they're breaking off currently and starting to do work on their own? I don't Ooh. know. Maybe uh, is one of them either uh, is one of them good time? Is are we talking a softy movie here? We got you are Wright Brothers wrong movie. Oh, uh, Uncut Gems. There you go. Number one. Oh, Uncut good one. Gems. Damn, you got there real quick. I like that too. Okay, cool. We've had that before. We've had, I think, Good Time and Uncut Gems both in here. But the other one, who are the most famous brother filmmakers of all time? I mean, Cohen Brothers. There good. you go. That's my guess. Yeah, and I think I think they are currently like uh, potentially not uh, continuing their their. Are they on uh, the outs. They're related. Not on the outs, but I think I think the next Cohen movie we're gonna get is an exclusively Joel Cohen movie. I think. Interesting. I think. What's their? What's arguably their most famous movie? I mean, Fargo is it just yep, Fargo. Fargo number three. People yeah. love Fargo in this People game. People do man. love Fargo. They love so, Fargo yeah, in this game. Uncut Gems, Tokyo Drifter, Fargo, Tampopo. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting that, combo. You, we have, you have to, boy, do we have a podcast for you, them, if they have two movies this lap. I know. And all Ben has been watching this year, it seems like, are other movies by the guy who made Tampopo and mm. also Promising Young Woman, which he gave three and a half stars to, which feels a little low considering it's my favorite movie of the year. But Ben, I will let it slide. Ooh, I like that movie a lot. A lot, yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rachel, Rachel was just pointing that out today. She was saying we were like looking at movies and we saw that one, and, and I mentioned that Joey was talking about how much he loved it. Two recommendations from both you guys. I'll take it. Oh yeah, that movie is killer. It's a uh, boy. It's got this fucking killer needle drop of a Britney Spears song that you mm-hmm. definitely know. Ooh. But it's uh, you know, it's whatever. What do the kids say? It's chopped and screwed. It's like it is so yes. oh. slow and uh, it's great. I it's... love chopped and screwed remixes. That version, but not chopped and screwed, is also used in David Earl year-end video countdown okay gotcha that scores three movies and seeing people dance to it uh from taylor swift's miss americana is great and then from the movie another round with mads mickelson is great Mm. and then seeing uh i don't know if it's pronounced ima or emma that spanish language crazy great movie that came out last year uh all three of them dancing to that song i'm like this is masterpiece you've done it again david Ehrlich. (laughs) (laughs) he i love his end of year videos they're the best Joey loves them. He's a huge advocate for them. You know, it's great. What I love about them is a lot of times it's like stuff I've not even seen in them, but he makes me want to see it by by putting it in there the way he puts it in there. You know what I mean? Uh, Or sometimes it's even stuff that I'm like, oh, I didn't even like that that much, but it's presentation here in this way makes me appreciate that. Like, oh yeah, that was one of this year's movies. And that's like a thing that's like important in its own 
way, you know? It, yeah. it adds to the flavor of everything else that this weird movie came out this year, you know? I just love the work that he does, but also, like, he and I have very similar tastes, but I've learned that he loves, like, period dramas a lot more than I do, so, like, sometimes, like, I don't know, he had a movie Sunset Song a couple years ago, and I'm like, I don't love this movie, but, like, I get why you love it, but, like, right. it's not for me. <laughs> like, other than that, like, he loves, like, you know, dancing and stuff in movies, I'm like, yeah, me too. Style over <laughs> substance, baby. Give me that. <laughs> uh, but Garrett, thank you so much for joining us for Tokyo Drifter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, pleasure. Probably. I really am so happy that you guys gave me an opportunity to just gush about this movie for a while. This was a delight. And like you said when I first messaged you, I mean, not that you weren't already, but now you are once again truly family. Yes, yeah. I Please have me back. I mean, I would love to talk more <laughs> Fast and Furious with you guys. I'd love to talk whatever you want to talk about. I have to, before we stop recording, this is a thing I need to address because I've become a fan of the Joes. I've been listening to this podcast a lot uh, recently. You. This was a few episodes ago i don't remember which one but uh joe too said something that just <laughs> broke my goddamn heart at what? some point uh you referenced when you make a character in a video game do you literally name him joe too yeah i think i would name him joe too i use it in a lot of things now why that is wild to me man that's a that is a character in a video game that's your wildest dreams your wildest <laughs> dreams you're still joe too you can't no. be joe one even in a video game you can't be joe one you're joe two <laughs> I have this. I have this conversation a lot, I, and evolves in different ways. But one of the things that I always say is that, like, I have a very hard time perceiving things from other, like, from another thing. So, like, I can pretend like I was like a rich guy, but like in my head, I would still have my same brain. Like, <laughs> yeah, I never yeah. like imagine that I'm somebody different at the core. Like, I can put put myself in a different place, but like my soul. And, like, what I know and my, you know, all that stuff stays the same. I can never, like, put myself in a different brain. It's really weird. I understand. I fully understand. I just, you referenced having a video game character named Joe 2, and I was like, you can't even be Joe 1 in, your, in the <laughs> video game? <laughs> I like it. I, I really, like, it It just stuck, and, like, it's, hey, man, it works now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, you always be number two. There's somebody always better, Garrett. Like, you'll <laughs> never be number one. I understand this feeling. I live this feeling. Yeah. Recently, uh, when Brian was promoting when we did the crossover with uh, Better Luck Tomorrow on his show, like he is like, yeah, we got the guys from Too Fast, Too Forever. We got Joe Two and Joey Lewandowski, and I like, I messaged him like, I don't even get top billing. Like we, we <laughs> joked about how like, I have, like I'm like an enemy on his show. I love he, that. And he said to me, his name is Joe Two. I figure he doesn't usually get top billing. And I was like, all right, that's that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I love yeah. that. This is somewhat self-imposed because this goes back to our very first episode of Zack Attack, where you were like, I don't want to say my last name. I'm just I'm Joe Two, and like I was like, I don't know how to write that. I'm like. Is it T-W-O or T-O-O? Yeah. And I don't know if you said T-W-O or just like whatever you No, I was like, whatever. I didn't even think about it being T-W-O, but I really like that. Like, let's go with that. Yeah. And then <laughs> there you go. I'll take it. I, li I like it. I mean, all of my video game characters are named Dr. Vankman. So even in my wildest dreams, I'm just a fictional character, like a specific fictional character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not like changing it up every <laughs> yeah, time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a pipe dream, and pipe dream is a very strong phrase, what I'm about to say, but, like, Joe had this idea, joe2.com is available, and he wanted to just have it, in like, map his email, so his email is joe at joe2.com or something, and just like, <laughs> oh, like, that's such a weird, like, hyper-specific, but I yeah. tried to get Joe2 on Twitter, but, like, this person's been camping on the thing, it's, like, 15 years old, and, like, no tweets dead account that this person just camped on that I don't know why. And I'm but like, see, here's the thing you're missing, though. If you're already naming your video game characters Joe 2, if you're going to go the whole route of getting Joe2.com just to get the email address out of it, your email address has to be Joe2 at Joe2.com so that yeah. anytime yes. you send an email, everybody's <laughs> like, well, who the fuck is Joe1 at Joe2.com? Like, how did none. this guy not even get Joe1 on his own goddamn website? <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you for that <laughs>
Yeah, I like the 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 the, the mystery of who Joe One is because it's not Joey. No, of course not. That's the other thing. It's like who are you even playing second fiddle to? <laughs> That's all right. It's just been, that's been that's been crawling around in the back of my brain it's for like okay. a month. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you for the tangent. It was great. Garrett, what would you like to plug? Where where where, would, where can people find you? Where do you want to send people? What is going on in the life of Garrett Smith? This John over here. <laughs> I'm uh, I have a podcast called I Like to Movie Movie. People can check that out uh, just all over the internet at I Like to Movie uh, using the numeric two. Uh, and I'm uh, writing for Movie John these days. Uh, we have a print zine as well as a website. Uh, and I have I actually have an article about Despa coming out in uh, the latest print uh, issue. I have a podcast that I've been working on with my partner that is not quite available yet, but you can look it up everywhere. It's Killer Bees Podcast uh, at Killer Bees. And that's just... Is it about Wu-Tang? BS. No, dude. Uh, when we got... So it's about oh. B-movie actors. We're profiling okay. B-movie stars, which is a lot of fun. I'm really excited. But we couldn't figure out a title for a while. And my partner's dad was like, how about Killer Bees? And I was like... Listen here, you 60-year-old man. Are you making a Wu-Tang reference at me? What are we talking about? And he was not. He was making an SNL reference to a sketch that I am too young to remember. So, oh, he uh, predated only, you. Only man. I know it as a Wu-Tang. I'm on a podcast called Killer Bees, and I'm the only one on it that even knows it's a Wu-Tang reference. It's very frustrating oh, already. I would be dropping RZA quotes in the, all the time. Uh, you man. better believe I am constantly making Wu-Tang references to to a, a co-host that has no idea what I'm talking <sighs> about. It's uh, Trust me, I can feel that frustration. <laughs> what? I always make jokes that you don't laugh at. I know exactly how that feels. Yeah, because they're not funny. There's a difference. <laughs> or Seinfeld references, but you'll get those eventually. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, how I'm you doing on that? How's that project? I've seen season one. Season two begins in a couple days. I'm in the middle of Simpsons season two. It's happening. It's all happening. That's good. That's good. Seinfeld has the typical sign, uh, uh, sitcom structure of season two as uh, a big improvement over season one. Yeah, that, I mean, like that's what I've heard. And, you know, that's the same thing that all these like Simpsons psychopaths say about the show. I was enjoying season one. One, but season two is better and season three is better and yeah. don't watch after nine unless you're a goddamn <laughs> idiot okay <laughs> right, sure next week joe as expected of course we are going to be joined once again by heather antos to talk about fast and furious and also los bandoleros ooh, ooh, directed yeah. by mr vin diesel wait he directed that he did yeah. i had no idea okay I, I have to go watch something immediately as soon as we uh, finish this it's the best Letty that Letty's ever been. It's the best Letty. Have so. you ever seen it? I haven't, and I believe it's on one of the Blu-rays that I own, so I should. It's really enjoyable for what it is, man. It's like a short film. It's really cool. It I'm doesn't really it. affect the story too much, but like, I think you'll like it. And Vin Diesel directed it. It's like his. Yeah, I am. I am gonna go watch it for exactly that reason as soon as we finish this. Cool. Do that thing. Thank you for joining us for Always. all things. Too Fast, Too Forever, all things Killer Bees. You're going to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page. Bonus episodes, Too Fast, Too Forever.com, our store. Things on sale now, question mark, Too Fast, Too Forever.shop. Come back next week for Fast and Furious and Los Bondoleros with Heather Antos. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And that was Garrett Smith of I Like to Movie Movie and Movie John, and we'll tell you all about it when we see you again.